I feel like we got to talk about the thing. Which thing? My thing. How was your week? Your eyeball? Yeah. <laughs> I'm game. How was your week? <laughs> uh I, I don't know if I don't think I've talked to you about it. We haven't a, we haven't had a working refrigerator in five weeks. Amy mentioned that to me. Yeah, and it's I, a hell of a thing. And that you're it's like you've got like a. You, I mean, obviously you could for five within the last five weeks you could have just run out and bought a new refrigerator, but you're in you're in some kind of a spat with your uh, refrigerator. Well, sales. no, no, no. Like it's not even just on principle. It's first of all, getting a fridge in here requires a crane. So that's a whole thing. So we were trying to get it fixed because instead of needing to hire a crane to bring a new fridge in and take the old one out. Why, why would you need a crane? Is it like a steps situation, a staircase situation? Yeah, staircases are too narrow. And, and modern refrigerators are mm -hmm. the size of a car. Exactly. Okay. So it's a whole thing. And finally, they were trying to fix it. And I was like, fine, fix it. I don't care. And finally, they said, okay, we can't fix it. Here's two grand. And I said, "Great, I'll buy a new fridge." And then I found out that I needed to get it repair or need to get it craned in, rather. And so the two grand doesn't even cover it. It's it's, it's it hasn't been good. So what do you what are you doing with your perishables? I mean, it is on the other hand, you guys are in the midst of record cold. So I mean, like you could you could keep like frozen stuff outside, right? Right, but the temperature fluctuates too much, such that like. You know, if you got your if you got something that only need, only needs to be refrigerated, it's no good. Yeah, it's no good. It's too cold. And then some days it gets warm enough that anything you have out there that's frozen is no good. I got yeah. a little mini fridge. That's that's all I've got right now. Did you buy that uh, specially just for this? Uh... No, fortunately, it, I guess it was a wine cooler. It's it's uh, but it gets down when when you crank it like as cold as it goes. I'm looking at it right now. When it get, when you crank it down as low as it goes, it's it's cold enough to keep some milk and. Uh, what the hell else do I have in there? Uh, I got some pasta sauce and uh, some butter. I'm living like a savage, John. What about ice? Uh, that's outside. I can just grab a handful. Right. Now, do you have like ice cubes or are you just taking like s snow or something like that? <laughs> I have not been using ice. I've been drinking my, my drinks uh, straight up. Um. So how much snow do you have outside still? Is it, is it come down at all? You got, you, I mean, is it like up over your, your ears? We, we crossed 32 degrees. It was above freezing today for the first time in, I think, the second time in, like, a month. So we lost a little bit today. That was good. Uh, like, depth-wise, if I look outside, a small child would still be buried. Like, we got a, <laughs> we got a good couple, two, three, four feet. <laughs> it's crazy. It's Which also doesn't help when you need to get a fridge in. And, you know, th like I'm saying, this whole thing, it's not like I've, I'm just saying, no, I refuse to buy a new fridge. I'm, I'm trying to buy a new fridge. It's still a whole headache. It's just one of those things you just never really anticipate having to do without. No, exactly. I've never, and I've never had to buy one either. I've never bought appliances before. For example, you know, imagine like if your like if your toilet stopped working, like it could happen, right? Especially, uh, you know, I think it's a lot more likely that let's say if you live in a, a small apartment with only one toilet, that right. it, it could break, and then you know, you obviously you would you would accelerate you know you'd call your plumber and explain the situation and hopefully get it expedited service but in the meantime i feel like it would it, it would never stop you you just every 15 minutes you'd forget and you'd go to pee or <laughs> you just go and use the toilet again well not that you would actually use it i'm sure that by the time you know you look at the broken toilet you'd realize ah oh, crap but it's like what would you do i mean i guess you'd like pee in a jar or something i don't know 
I guess. I don't know. I, I, hopefully that doesn't come up. We got a couple of bathrooms. So that one, we, I should be good on that one, but only got one fridge. Right. But it's the same, you know, you just take modern, you know, these modern luxuries for, for granted. We don't even think of them as luxuries, but they are. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. I was talking to my grandmother. Uh, she's 90 years old and she used to have an ice box, like a literal ice box where they would put a piece of ice in there to keep things cold. Right. It was just like a big steel box. And then a guy would come once a week with like a, a chunk of like 20 pound block of ice. Yeah. Like a microwave oven sized block of ice. Right. And, and drop it in there. And then it would, yeah, you'd keep your, uh, keep your perishables in there. Well, and the thing she told me is that you, you had to drain it all the time. Right. Obviously the ice melt. That's, that's a huge pain in the ass. You're draining your fridge once a day. Right. It's crazy. But we take well, it for granted. I, I have a new appreciation for the goddamn refrigerator. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll trade you problems. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I, mean, I would trade you in a heartbeat. You can have my toilet and my refrigerator. <laughs> well, do I have to start from scratch or do I start from where you are now? I just start from where I am now. And and you start from where I am because like I feel like I'm I'm nearing the end. Oh, you could. Do, I'll I'll go back to the beginning of yours. Uh, All the way back. Oh, to I don't the, know. I don't know. I had I had a lot of 8 a.m. wake-up calls for this, John. The service people try and come at 8 a.m. You wouldn't like that. I, you know, I had uh, uh, I had an 8 a.m. follow-up with my surgeon. All right, all right. So what's the difference? So here's the thing. I got to talk about it. So because uh, it's going to come out within the next week because I'm missing the Apple event. So a week ago, I uh, uh, suffered a detached retina in my left eye, which is not good. <laughs> no. Uh, this that's like a you can't see type of situation. They're supposed to stay to, to stay attached. It's All right, so that was uh, Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, one day later, I had uh, surgery at the Will's Eye Hospital right here in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, and five stars on Yelp. Five stars. Uh, they do advertise themselves as the world's finest eye hospital, so I've got that going for me. Uh, <laughs> but the. Uh, this is not a, a quick recovery. This is a long, slow recovery, and, and the procedure that I had involves a, uh, a gas bubble injected in the back of my eye that, re- that holds the repaired retina in place. So, like, right in front of uh, the, the guy went in, he repaired my retina. Then uh, at the very end of this procedure, uh, they put a gas bubble back there. And, That's uh, crazy, right? I mean, it's, you told me this. And it's, 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 and when they told me, I thought they were making it up. <laughs> it's like a little guy is pushing the retina all the time, though, right? I, a little bubble. A little, a little bubble, bubble but it's like, it's like you got a little dude in there just keeping yeah. everything in place. Yeah, keeping it in place. So it is, uh, I was very confused at first. I, I, I thought it was that, that they were saying that it was like a sack or like a balloon filled with gas or something. Uh, and then I thought, oh, this sucks because then, you know, uh, obviously at some point I'm going to have to go back and they're going to have to take this thing out. But no, it's just a gas bubble. They just inject the gas and my eye will naturally absorb it over the course of uh, six to ten weeks and it will shrink. It'll shrink in my field of vision. Um, but anyway, long story short, uh, one of the one of the uh, results of this is that while I have this gas bubble in my eye, I cannot step foot on an airplane. Or at least I can't step foot in an airplane that is up in the air. And you're probably not supposed to climb mountains. No, I well, that's rec- recommended against uh, okay. uh, altitude changes. So another way it was explained to me is absolutely positively no no airplanes. Uh, 
if you can avoid it, don't go to the Poconos or anything like that. <laughs> okay. Um, what about Denver or like? Well, know? I would I would presume if if the Poconos are are out, Denver would. Denver's definitely out. Denver's definitely out. Uh, and uh, you know, how would I get to Denver? And you know, I'd have to. It would be a long drive. Long drive, yeah. Um, so I will miss the Apple event, which is uh, seven. We're recording right now on Monday, March second, seven days from now. I will not be able to to make that. But they got a live stream. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know. It'll be weird. It's sort of like the old days. I mean, it's you know, at least for the first half of the run of Daring Farball, I never went to the press events. So uh, I got to back out, uh, unfortunately, of the Ool conference too, which is at the end of the month. I said you should just cruise over to Ireland. Yeah, that would be the option. So that that conference is in Ireland. Uh, I guess my only, I think that would be my only option would be to to cruise there. I, I looked it up. I think it's like an eight-day each-way cruise, which you would have to do. And I don't know that they run them until like April or May because it's pretty cold out there right now. Right, because it wouldn't even be enough to get to uh, England because, you know, you think, you know, like when you're booking flights to Ireland or something like that, if it goes through Heathrow or something, you don't really give it any second thought because it's like it's it, like a 15 minute flight. You know what I mean? Right. But if you can't get in an airplane, you know, like the difference between England and Ireland is actually uh, pretty significant. It's, it's decent. Yeah. <laughs> like it never really it never really matters when you're flying everywhere that Ireland is actually, you know, an island. But once you can't get in a plane, yes, it matters. <laughs> well, so you've you've had to bail on you're bailing on the watch event. Unfortunately, you're bailing on this conference. Uh, are you are you just in a bed? What do you have to do? Do they let you walk around? Yeah, I am allowed. To, you know, obviously, I mean, there's been no disruption on uh, during Fireball. Uh, I, I even I was posting. It was so. It's just weird. The way modern anesthesia works is just crazy. It's like at at eleven o'clock, I was high as a kite. They didn't fully put me under, uh, which is terrifying. And I know, like for anybody who's out there, it sounds absolutely positively terrifying that you're awake for some kind of operation on your eye. But you're poking at your eye. You're so far out of it that it it really i actually found it to be rather enjoyable like and and modern anesthesia uh you know and i've had unfortunately you know more of it than i would like lately um they they've really gotten good at making uh not just putting you under not just making sure that you're out or whatever but actually like making your mood uh euphoric like these guys during or after during okay like when you're in the operating room, they at least if, with the fine anesthesiologists at uh, Will's Eye Hospital, you you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're kind of wishing that they had to go back in there and and pull this little sack out. Yeah, well, no, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that good? No, it wasn't that good. Um, but there were moments when I was, you know, uh, sort of, kind of there, like aware of my what was going on. And I have to say, it was sort of a euphoria. It was it was a very good feeling. But I, it, so the procedure was like an hour long or so. You know, so eleven to twelve, I'm in there. They're operating. I'm out of it for the most part, but not unconscious. But um, and there were moments where I could hear my surgeon talking. Uh, uh, and you know, it was bizarre. It's it's, but it's you're so high, so crazy, crazy high. Uh, it, it you know. 
But uh, do you remember anything he said? Like, should he should he be careful about what he's saying when he's working on you? Yeah, obviously. I, at one point, he was talking about some kind of fold, uh, and it was very very clear to me. And he was it, it was a very reassuring. It was it was like a, a, he he an air of competence and uh, okay. precision that was inspiring. But it was he was and he was clearly talking to his fellow like. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if they call them residents anymore. They call them fellows. But in other words, a young doctor who's like his Padawan, effectively, okay. his apprentice. Yeah. It was clear that he wasn't talking to anybody else in the ER. He certainly wasn't talking to me. He was talking to his uh, fellow. Um, and it was something about a fold, like in the corner or something, something, something fold. And that you don't want to do it like that. You want to do it like this. And it was, you know. Super. Did they, did they give you like a little eye tuck? Did they do a little work while you were under? No, no, the retina. It was definitely about the retina. It was all right. That the, the, some part of the torn portion of the retina. I don't know that it was folded under. I don't. I don't know something about a fold. I don't know. Maybe they throw in a little plastic surgery while you're under. Well, I don't know. If, if so, that didn't really help me much. <laughs> um, but anyway, right, but that's so you're out, and then and then you're back to work. By three o'clock, I'm, you know, I, like noon, 11 to 11 to noon is like the, my surgery, uh, you know, 1230 or so is when I remember seeing Amy in the recovery room. Um, you know, so apparently I was still out for maybe a half hour after the procedure was over. And uh, I was definitely, you know, unsteady, not right. You know, it's good. It's a good thing that they make, they make you have like a, a you know. They don't sign you out on your own. Like Amy had to sign me out. <laughs> right. um, but we literally, I mean, this is, I mean, obviously this whole situation is a very unfortunate run of bad luck, but there's all sorts of, it's mixed in with little bits of good luck. Uh, like just by pure coincidence, we certainly didn't pick our house because of it, but we, we literally live four blocks away from Will's eye hospital. It's less than a five minute walk. It isn't, we live incredibly close. So we walked home you know and did you walk there and back yeah <laughs> all right i mean it's we live it's so close that it wouldn't but even, there's no better way to do it right I, you know if the way if it were raining or something i guess we could take a cab you know but it would it would make zero sense to drive i mean there's i mean i think some people you know they do have a parking garage so it would be closer than our house but it's I think by the time you waited for the elevator in the parking garage and it's all said and done, it probably takes about the same amount of time to walk in the front door as it does from our house. Um, So we walked home and by like three o'clock I was writing and reading work and daring fireball. It's crazy. But now what day was this? Cause maybe we should look at this and yeah, maybe maybe. that was Wednesday. So it would have been Wednesday. It's the 25th, I think. Yeah. All right, we'll have to check and see if it, if any of it makes sense. <laughs> that, that didn't actually occur to me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I sh- maybe I shouldn't have done it. Like, were there any odd posts on Wednesday? I don't know. Let me see here. I'm scrolling down. Uh, I don't think so. It looks pretty normal. <laughs> All right. They do give you a piece of paper. I think I sent this to you because I knew that you would enjoy it. Yeah, here's Wednesday. I, I don't think I was very busy here. I got Farhad Manju, Google Plans, new headquarters. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, you know, it was obviously I was not a prolific, but, uh, you know, I could read and write. All right. Um, 
What were we saying? What was I? <laughs> I was just talking about how you've got a, a you know, you got to bail on this stuff, but and uh, I'm sharp as a tack that there's no long term uh, repercussions of the uh, sedatives that they had me on. You know what I mean? It's uh, the basic gist, though. But when they first told me that, though, I, I, you know, you hear what you want to hear, and my thought is, well, you know, I'm not supposed to fly, but I guess I can still do it. But no, it is not like, uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't fly. This is you, you go blind if you fly. Yeah, I hear gas bubble in the eye. I think uh, probably probably don't want to change my my uh, elevation too much. Yeah, well, you know, like when you take a sealed bag of chips on a plane, like you buy it at the airport. <laughs> You buy a bag of chips and you take them on the plane, and then when you open it up mid-flight, it's puffed out like a balloon because of the change in air pressure. That, you that, don't want that in your eyeball. No, that would. I mean, I think that's exactly what would happen. I'm not right. sure that my eye would burst, but it's it's does it doesn't seem like it's out of the question. <laughs> I wouldn't risk it. <laughs> it would be like that. What was that stupid commercial where the guy was like? Uh, the guy's getting on an airplane and it's like his back hurts and he's like, Oh, it's like a Tylenol or something commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but she's like, we have aspirin and he goes, aspirin. I'm not having, I'm not a, having heart- a heart attack. <laughs> I'm not having a heart attack. My back hurts. Oh. Oh, like- I, I think that guy was a real racist. Don't you? <laughs> why, why a racist? <laughs> because it was clearly an international flight and she was, uh, I think, I think it was a Japanese airline and she's, he he's talking to her as if like she doesn't understand English. <laughs> it's like no no I'm not having a heart attack it's my back. She's See, like I, yeah dumbass here's I some aspirin. I didn't read into that. I just got that like at Bear they've had a meeting where they've been so successful with this you know the way that that aspirin is now prescribed you know like if people over a certain age are supposed to pop one aspirin a day and it just right. somehow for reasons they, you know, don't understand, don't really know, but they just clinical studies show if you pop an aspirin a day, you, there's less chance of like heart blood attack thinning or something. <laughs> I guess it's something like that, but uh, you know, aspirin, I've, I read about it a while ago. Like nobody really has any idea how aspirin works. Like aspirin was just some, it, cause it's ancient, you know, we're not right. Right. It's like 5,000 years old. We just know it works. Right. I don't even know if it's 5,000, but it's, you know, it certainly was, was widely used like, you know, in the 1800s or at the end of the 1800s. And, and, you know, it was like in the snake oil era and it was something that actually did work. You know, it does actually decrease pain. Um, but I, I, you know, you just know the meeting that they had where they're like, well, now everybody's forgotten that you can take aspirin for pain relief. Nobody's forgotten. <laughs> no one thinks it's only for a heart attack. Well, can you imagine, can you imagine like hitting that little thing to call the flight attendant? Ding. <laughs> And then they come by, and I'm holding my eye, and I'm like, "Do you have any aspirin? My my eyeball just burst." <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it in your hand or is it? I mean, what are you picturing? I'm picturing just like a water balloon that pops, like it's just gone. It's just gone, and I'm just, just... and maybe a couple wet naps to clean up around. Here. Yeah. <laughs> also, can you imagine, like, if you know, if you somebody was seating next to me and. <laughs> Having to apologize because your your eyeball just burst all over them. Well, you oh. just hold the airsick bag up to your face. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm not going to find out. Good plan. Good plan. All right, uh, 1853 is when we discovered uh, aspirin. I thought it was older than that. Yeah, I knew it wasn't ancient, but I knew it was like you know, like a Wild West era you know, right. discovery. And it's just, it's crazy because I don't, I, it might be the one and only medical treatment from 1853 that it's still in use. Still in use. <laughs> uh, 
let me take a break and uh, thank our first sponsor. Why not, uh, since we're talking about eyeballs, why not talk about our good friends at uh, Warby Parker? Yes! Is it really? It is. Oh, I was so hopeful. Oh, it's a jackpot. Uh, <laughs> Go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> our next sponsor, by the way, is Bear. Uh, <laughs> No, it's our good friends at Warby Parker. You guys know uh, Warby Parker. This is where you go online and you buy eyeglasses, and they've got a whole bunch of cool styles to pick from, uh, really great prices. The whole idea is that the guys who founded the company, you know, they're like, how come eyeglasses cost like $800 when you go to like a place to get good-looking eyeglasses? Well, guess what? They don't have to. Um, Warby Parker's progressives start at $295, including frames. Um it's for the uh, the older people out there who've got your distance prescription at the top and a transition to a reading lens uh, near the bottom. Two ninety five. That's unheard of. It's way less than what you'd pay at at the retail places. Um, they use what's called a digital freeform lens, which is the most advanced progressive technology. It's applied digitally with a computer, so the design is far more precise than traditional models of progressives. Um, it also provides a larger field of vision. So it's just, it looks better. You don't see the line between the lenses like you used to in the old days. Um, and it gives you a, a better, bigger field of vision. Um, the other big thing that Warby Parker does, huge. This is absolutely huge. Every time you buy a pair of prescription glasses from Warby Parker, they send a pair to someone in need around the world. Uh, millions and millions of people around the world who don't have access to uh you know, corrective vision, uh, huge problem. Uh, just imagine if everything went around, you couldn't see anything sharply, terrible. Um, well, guess what? Warby Parker is helping to solve that because every time you buy glasses from them, they send one to someone in need. Um, here's the crazy thing. I know it's, when I first heard about Warby Parker years ago, I thought, well, this sounds great, but I, how in the world are you going to buy glasses? Something that you're going to wear like every single day, uh, something that goes right on your face. Uh, without trying them on first. Like, even if you look at the webpage and you say, well, those look cool, but how do you know they're going to look on you? I mean, it's crazy. Like, I, every time I've ever bought glasses, you know, even right there in the store, you look at some, you say, well, those look cool. Then you try them on, and you're like, wow, I look like an idiot in these. Um, they have a great try-at-home program. You pick, like, I think it's up to five. You get five five picks, find five that you think you like, pick pick a variety, Uh they send them to you without the lenses, you know, the corrective lenses at first. Send them to you at home. You try them. Take a couple days. Ask your friends. Ask your, uh, uh, you know, friends and family which ones they like. Take a look in the mirror. Uh, and then you pick the one you like the best. Send the whole thing back to them. It's all pre-shipping. It's all pre-labeled. You know, you don't have to do any kind of work other than just hand it off back to the UPS guy. Uh and boom, like a couple days later, your glasses, brand new glasses come with the actual lenses. Uh, could not be easier. We, I don't even, I've lost count of how many Warby Parker glasses we've got laying around the house now between, uh, between me and Amy. Great, great stuff. They do sunglasses, uh, uh, all sorts of styles to pick from really could not be easier. It's a, it's a great thing. Uh, once people, once you start buying glasses from Warby Parker, you're not going to go back. Um, where do you go to find out more? Go to their website, warbyparker.com uh, slash the talk show. And then you'll know that uh, they'll know that you came from here and uh, use that code. I think they send you, uh, I think it's expedited shipping. 
you'll give you uh, free three-day shipping on your glasses if you use that uh, that code, warbyparker.com slash the talk show. I was hoping, I went there, I was hoping maybe I could get a designer eye patch. Oh, I was just looking for monocles. They do not sell monocles currently. Yeah, see, that's that could be a problem for me if this doesn't... Uh, I mean, uh, prognosis is good. I mean, it's, and everybody, you know, if, if anybody, I, I, I hope I made that clear that, uh, you know, after this procedure I had last week, I went back the next day and they took a look and they said it looks, uh, quote unquote, great for day one. So, you know, I, I have a good prognosis here. I don't want anybody, I'm only, I'm, I, I hate even going public with it, but I have to because I feel like I have to explain why I'm not at the Apple event. And I absolutely have to explain why I, I won't be speaking as scheduled at Ool. Uh, I feel like if you just drop out of a speaking event, people are going to think you're a flake, you know, and I want people. Right. You, you know. got a, you got a pretty good excuse that you'd prefer to keep both your eyeballs. <laughs> I don't know that there's anybody who's that dedicated that they would voluntarily go blind, <laughs> blind in one eye to make a. <laughs> That'd be a really good conference. I've heard good things about all, but. Oh my God. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that would be if that was the subject of my talk? I hope you like this talk. <laughs> <laughs> I went blind to be here. <laughs> no. You get quite a round of applause at the end. No, I think people would feel terrible. I think that you, everybody, I mean, because it, it would, it would be such a sign that you're, you know, mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe. Right, like watching somebody destroy themselves would be terrible. All right, I think you made the right call. You know, I, I mentioned I should go back. I, I'm the worst, but uh, with the Warby Parker, you know the. Uh, the 295 is for the progressives. They're regular ones. If you don't need progressives, by the way, I just feel obligated to go back and mention this. They start at just 95 bucks, including the lenses. So it, I don't want to leave the impression that you got to pay 300 bucks for, uh, for glasses. 100 bucks get you a high quality pair of glasses. And, and anyway, what else? What's going on? I think there's some kind of a watch coming out. Yeah. What about the, uh, before we talk about that, we could talk about the Pebble Color. Was is that what it's called? Is it called Pebble? What, or Pebble Time, right? Pebble Time. Because you know it's a watch. So, well, and and you, I know I have a Pebble, uh, which I never really got into wearing. I don't think I ever wore it for more than like a, a day. Um, but I know that you you have a original first gen Pebble, and you've worn it regularly. I did. Uh, I. Stopped wearing it, I think I wore it for two or three months. And, you know, I bought it, I think, for the same reason you did, just out of curiosity. Because when the, the Kickstarter was announced, geez, like a year and a half, two years ago even, uh, it was a curiosity and nothing else like it existed. And it was, I think, what was it, about 100 bucks or so? Do you I, think remember? Was, I think it was 100 bucks. It, it, it wasn't outlandish. I mean, no. it, wasn't, it wasn't much more than that. It might have even been a little less than that. And I said, you know, this seems interesting, and uh, I think I enjoyed it a little more than you did. But it's to me, it's it sort of proved the concept of having a watch connected to your phone, because I, I think even now, I, I think even after the Apple Watch comes out, people are going to say, you know, what the heck do you need that for? You've got your phone. But when you're driving, it's great. You can glance at your wrist. Uh, when you're in a meeting, when you're you know talking to somebody else, it's a whole lot easier to just look at your wrist real quick then pull out your phone and, you know, figure out what's going on there. And I did find that it was, you know, not the most valuable thing in the world, but it was certainly a useful accessory to the phone in a way that without trying it, I might not have believed. My big, one of my big complaints with it, 
my two big complaints, I guess, were that one, I didn't feel like I was getting fine grained enough control over which notifications. Like with I, Pebble specifically. With mean. Pebble specifically. Yep. It was more or less all notifications. Anything that you know, you if you pair it with your phone your iPhone, then anything that would be a notification on your phone is a notification on your Pebble. And I tend to have my phone set up to not, I don't get a lot of notifications, period. I, you know, most things I have turned off. Yeah, um, same. I only get email notifications for my VIPs, et cetera, which is like, That's I think one feature. of the, I was just talking to somebody, I don't know if it was on the show or where, but it it's like one of the best features Apple's come up with, like little feature that you take for granted, but but, right, yeah, that you'd barely even notice. But then, you yeah. know, if you stop and think, hey, I'm only getting emails from, you know, my mom and the wife and whoever, it's it's very nice, yeah. But there's so many little things that really, uh, uh, just little notifications that I do want on my phone, but I don't want on my watch. And the fact that I couldn't turn them off made it feel like my watch was annoying me. Now, was that, I think that's how it was initially. I think eventually, I, you know, I, I stopped using it as well, but I think eventually you did get a little more fine-grained control as far as some things that would notify on the phone only and not on the, not on yeah, the Yeah, maybe. And this, you know, I might be speaking from old experience, you know, right. but maybe it's, but it just, but I also did not, I also found it the, the physical sensation of the vibration to be unpleasant, even for things I wanted the pebble to notify me about like a text okay. message, right? Like a text message is one that I would think anybody wants, you know, my wife texts me, I want the, I, I do want it on my watch. If if my watch is going to show me anything, that's something I would want. I found the vibration to be physically unpleasant, not like so, in a big way, but in a, it, it never once made me happy that my watch buzzed. <laughs> well, so you've you've tried on an Apple Watch, right? Right. And right. and you and they they showed you the the taptic sensor, right, or the right. taptic feedback. So you can compare the two. I've I have not. Yeah, it's uh, a completely different sensation. I've said this before, but it's it's not. The taptic thing, you know, and I know that taptic is a word that they've made up, you know, that it's tap plus haptic, but it it's really is a kind of great name. Like I'm sh like at some point once they had the thing working and somebody said taptic, everybody in the room, I'm sure it was like, that's it because it does feel like it's tapping you and it's not at all like a vibration, you know, a, a phone vibrator. It sounds, I mean, it sounds weird. I mean, it is weird. It's different, but it's, and it's not unpleasant. It's, and it, it, to me solves a very real problem that the, uh, at least the original Pebble definitely had, which is that of a little, the vibrating engines vibration have, motor, yeah. right. Are just not pleasant sensation. Well, so I, the thing to me about the new one, the, the Pebble time was it looks very nice. And it's interesting to me that it's going to be one of the first devices out there using a, color e-ink display because none of the you know like the nooks and and the kindles are all still black and white e-ink but it seems very much geared at android users because they just can't get the level of uh you know connection to the system on ios that they right. want right and i think that's sort of unfortunate because it'd be nice if there were competitors uh that worked with the iphone but i think it's i think if they're carving out a, a niche in the market, it's it's on the Android side. Yeah, even though I think the original one, I think probably was large. Maybe it was even iPhone first, right? Wasn't it like that their Android software took a while? It's definitely, yeah, that sounds right. All right. I think that it, that because of the enthusiast market and the Kickstarter market, uh, especially from, from a couple years ago when Kickstarter was, you know, a little bit less well-known, you know, it was definitely the iPhone 
I think made up a much bigger part of their market. Right. But right. I think Whereas it's inevitable. Now, I think you're exactly right though. That right now it's inevitable because they need, they crave more control on the phone and the iPhone just doesn't offer it. Well, and I think, so I, I think that's, it's interesting because in this space, Apple's making a device and, you know, Apple's answer is going to be get the Apple watch. That's the one that works best with the iPhone. But I got a doorbell. I got a doorbell called the ring and it's a video doorbell and it connects to your phone. And it's great. It rings your phone wherever you are when somebody's at the door. So if you're not at home or, you know, whatever, you can tell a UPS guy to leave a package, whatever. But the biggest issue that I have with it is that I keep my phone on silent most of the time. And on the iPhone, the only thing that can override the silent switch is your alarm clock. And if I could have one other thing do it, it would be this doorbell. Because I want that notification anytime that it happens. And it's something where I don't think Apple's likely to ever make a doorbell. But because the system is locked down enough, it means that nobody else can make one that has that level of access. Right. And, you know, you see it with the watch, you see it with, with a bunch of things. And it's, I think in this case, uh, you know, there's an answer. It's get an Apple watch and that'll have all the authority that you need. But in a lot of other cases, I think there's sort of missed opportunities right now. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's an unfortunate side effect, you know, of, and I don't think it's purely, I think it plays into it. I mean, let's face it, there's a little bit of, of competitive spite. So do your doorbell thing, you can, like, if you're away, you can then use an app or something to talk through the intercom? Yeah, so it's, it's, the whole, the whole thing is, it's got a little video camera, and it's got a battery. And they ring the doorbell just like you ring a normal doorbell, but uh, then it rings on your phone and you accept the call and you can see them, they can't see you. But uh, it's, you know, so the, 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 their angle is a security angle that I guess a lot of breaking and enterings, the very first thing they do is ring the doorbell to make sure nobody's home. Hmm. And with this, you can, your home, no matter where you are, is sort of the way they pitch it. Uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the, uh, yeah, I'm not necessarily that interested in, in that aspect of it, but uh, it is nice to have a little intercom without needing to run a whole bunch of wires. And uh, it's great, except for, like I said, if I've got my phone on silent or if I've got it on do not disturb and somebody wants to deliver a package at eight in the morning and I've got my phone set up to not bother me, suddenly the doorbell doesn't ring, uh, which is uh, sort of unfortunate. Right. Yeah. And like the way that the alarm app can override that is is black magic because the it's only the built in system alarm, you know, clock app that has the ability to go outside the, you know, the, um, privileges, you know, like, right. I, I don't think there's, I'm 99% sure there's no way that any third party alarm clock app can, no, I think, can do those things. I think they're all at a bit, a, a bit of a disadvantage because of that. But, right. uh, you know, in that case, again, the built in alarm clock app is pretty good. It's, yeah. it's decent. Uh, but yeah, for other stuff, there's there's just no way around it. Yeah, that's a perfect example, though, of the and it, it, of the sort of thing that you just don't think about, right? And it's you know in a way that like, you know, Apple isn't trying to build everything, right? I mean, they've only you know that watches their first new products, you know, in five years. You know, they're right. just they're not building thermostats and doorbells and security cameras and et cetera, et cetera. And you know, somebody else is, and once you you know sit there and think, well, how, if we reinvented the doorbell, what would we do? And you start thinking of cool things you could do with notifications and apps and, you know, Wi-Fi. I guess you have it on your Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's really clever. I like that.
it, it is, and it's but it's it's something where I, I don't necessarily have that much hope that this will change. But it's something where I think if you get enough of these types of products where they do need these higher privileges, you know, higher access to the system, and I'm willing to give it to it. That's really the thing is I want the app to be able to say no matter what, you get to ring. Yeah. I almost feel like it's almost at this point, it's almost like it would be confusing, but I could see it. Like I would like to give this app a get out of do not disturb, you know, privilege. Right. And, and uh, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to have games asking for this. You don't want to have, I don't even know most things asking for this, but I can look at this as a user and say, this thing should have it. And I would bet that there's, you know, a half dozen types of these products that could use the levels of access that the alarm clock alarm clock app have right and you know i like i said i don't hold out a whole lot of hope that that'll ever happen but i certainly hope that these people are talking to apple and saying look you're not going to make this and we're trying to make it as as top quality and experience for your users as we can uh and i think i think on android there's at least you know I, i don't have enough experience with it to say they could definitely do this but there's definitely more flexibility and more access on that side where you know we just don't have it on the iphone yeah um with Pebble, I never really wrote about it on Daring Fireball because I always felt a little bad. And I often I'll complain about other people grading somebody on a curve or something. And I don't feel it's quite that way because I like the idea of Pebble. I like they seem like a good company. Uh, I'm rooting for them. And I really felt bad. Like I, I just didn't I couldn't get myself to just really write about it because if I were going to write about it, I'd have to be honest. And if I were honest, it would be a very negative review. And right. I just didn't want to do it. You know, I'd rather say nothing than, you know, because you, you know, get on the podcast. anyway. <laughs> exactly. And I feel like that's sort of the fun thing about having a podcast. It's a little bit, it, you know, like I can use the intonation of my voice and and it conveys it. I think I think everybody listening to this can kind of knows what I'm saying. Right. It's yeah, it, absolutely. It's easier to be. Um, I put some emotion into it, maybe to put it better way so i bought i signed up for the new one too even though i don't expect, oh, did you? Yeah, expect not to like it either but i like them enough that i got the cheapest pebble time that i could you know i looked at it and i thought it's so close to the apple watch and i'm interested in it but it doesn't seem like there's any real benefit to getting it ahead of time if if i were a consumer just a pure consumer i would not have bought it i feel like for whatever i paid for it the 200 bucks or whatever yeah, it's it costs. like 179 or something i can i can it's a perfectly valid business expense yeah it's cost of know. doing business for you absolutely right. well uh, the thing to me was that again it it seemed very clear that the android experience for this was going to be superior to the ios experience and because apple is now making a watch they're not going to be inclined to make it any better for pebble right. so it it that to me scared me off of it a little bit. I was also interested that they did another Kickstarter on this. Yeah, I, I thought that did was you interesting look at that too. at all. Yeah, I thought it well, yeah, because I bought it from their Kickstarter. Right. But I mean just the I think it was two or three years ago, Kickstarter had a blog post and it said Kickstarter is not a store. Yeah. That was the headline of a blog post. Right. And now this product, I think it's supposed to ship in May, which is two months from now. Kickstarter's a store for this product. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's there's no other way to look at this than that you're buying this, and in two months you'll have it, and and that you're not really you're not backing it to make it come into existence. If you don't buy it there, you're going to be able to buy it somewhere else in two months, no matter what. So I think they opened this thing six days ago. It was sometime last week. It was uh, yeah, within the past week or so. Although I seem to recall it was before my 
my incident. But anyway, uh, they've already raised $12 million, which is crazy. It's great. They wanted they had a $500,000 goal, which they knew they were going to reach. Yeah, they knew they were going to blow through that. Right. Um, but they've got $12 million and uh, Are they the top? I was looking a few days ago at the top projects, and the Pebble was like number three, and the Pebble time was already number four. Yeah, I and, and the Pebble was number one for a long time. Like it, right. It, it, was, it was the... It, it had sat at number one for like the longest period of anybody. I also like, I know that they've hired some people with, uh, who, who were interaction designers for web OS. I think maybe all the way back to when it was a Palm project, which I've always thought was a great design for an operating system. Like without any hesitation, I would say this, you know, second only to iOS and the one with the most ideas that I kind of feel like were better than iOS. But and then almost none of them got picked up anywhere. No, no. But like the way they did notifications with a thing at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you know we have it a lot now. They're you know they're like what what on iOS we call banners, um, but on the webOS they were at the bottom and they sh- everything was designed from the get go to support them. So whatever was on your interface would shrink to go above it. You know, and it okay. would, uh, just all sorts of little things like that. Not that that's, you know, not that the bottom is that much greater than the top, but there was so many little things about WebOS that were really nice, you know. And, you know, a lot of them have come to Android and iOS now. You know, the card-based interface for switching is, right. you know, was WebOS. And they've, they've just looking at the video for the new Pebble Time, there's so many little bits of uh, animation. And I'm impressed. I mean, I'm and it looked like, it was all straightforward, like that they were shooting actual prototypes. Like it wasn't like that they were right. It wasn't animated, it. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh So that's impressive for e ink, I think. And it, you know, it just shows it, it was a glaring weak spot in the 1.0 Pebble OS. It, the interaction design of that thing was it really felt like like a device from the early 90s. No animation, everything just sort of jumped from one thing to another, right? And no real sense of. uh what would you call it even spatiality i don't know like place like where am i in the watch i, I don't right you were just always looking at whatever was there and yeah. then swiping to a completely new right. like wiping the whole screen and getting a new look at it yeah right so they've come up with uh, you know I, is it actually going to be useful i don't know but it, to me at least it's novel which uh, to me is always impressive uh and it sounds like it could be good this timeline interface where older stuff is up and future stuff is down, and the moment right now is in the middle. So if you want to look at what you were doing yesterday, you go up, and you can see, like, what was my step count yesterday? Uh, I guess, where was I yesterday? And if you want to see where you have to go tomorrow, you go down, and it'll say, well, here's you know here's your schedule for tomorrow. And then you hit the middle button, and you're back to now. Here's the time and what's going on right now. I think yeah, that's I th- interesting. I think it was a- I think it was a pretty impressive response because obviously, when was the Apple Watch announced? Last fall? September. So, yeah. So I'm presumably they were already working on this, but, and they, you know, had a sense that something might be coming from Apple, but then suddenly Apple announces it and they're trying to compete with that, obviously, as a smartwatch, but it's a very different product. They're not, they didn't suddenly say, you know what, we better put a touch screen on there and it's got to be a proper, uh, you know, LED display. Uh, or LCD display, rather. Uh, you know, they they stuck with what they had, which was the e-paper, and yep. improved upon that in a way that makes it a different product and not sort of a uh, direct competitor to the Apple Watch. Yeah, definitely. I think if anything, if if Apple Watch has had any influence on 
this at all, I would guess it's only the timing that maybe that's, you know, it, it lit a of fire. The release, you mean? Yeah. You know, that, I mean, they expect to ship them in May. I mean, but maybe that was a good, and maybe it was really just motivation that knowing that, you know, when Apple finally decloaked the watch in September and said early 2015, that it really motivated the people who work at Pebble to let's, we got to ship before they do. You know, right. we, we, are, right. we just have to announce before they do. It's a good motivation. But I would bet, though, that the, the design of this was already largely in place. Right. And it certainly is true to the original Pebble uh, vision. And that's to me, is also why these guys are so interesting to watch, is they clearly have a very different um, just basic idea for what a little wrist smart computer would be like than Apple does. Well, and it's much simpler. It's, you know, it's it, the, the technology inside of it is a lot simpler, which means it's cheaper. Right. It means it lasts for, what do they say, like seven to 10 days, I think. Uh, I, I know was, the first one did. Which was definitely true in my experience. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The first one definitely had uh, good battery life. And uh, I, Apple still hasn't announced an actual battery life, but they're saying charge it every night, right? Right. So that to me is definitely not a good thing. I mean, I don't think it'll affect things too negatively, but I'd rather not have to charge a watch every single night. Right. Or to, to know that if you're only going away for an overnight, you know, like just one overnight, I'm going to be in New York, you know, for 48 hours that you still have to take your charger. Right. And, and it's a different charger than everything else you've got. So you've got your charger for your phone and your laptop and now your watch. Right. And it's totally understandable why I, you know, although I wonder like, cause to me the way forward would be to get the iPhone on the magnetic charger. I mean, clearly a lightning port is never going to happen on a watch because it would be horrible. Um, but a magnetic charger for the iPhone, I, I could see that in could terms be. of like decreasing the number of things you have to pack with you. But on the other hand, like when you travel, I always, you know, I charge my phone right before I go to sleep. And so if I have to charge the phone and the watch, I still, I don't see how you get out of two chargers, but at least you maybe, you know, you don't have to worry that you've picked the wrong one. Right. Oh, well, I guess the, the other thing that I sort of don't understand is that there's definitely been talk of using the taptic feedback to wake you up in the morning. Oh yeah. So we, yeah. If you're charging the watch overnight, that's not going to work obviously. Right. Yeah. I don't get it. I know Johnny Ive, I, I think it was, I don't think they talked about it at the event, but I think there was some kind of interview with Johnny Ive. Like maybe it was the vanity fair conference that he was interviewed at. And he mentioned that it's a great, uh, alarm clock. And you, immediately you were like guy messaging me like, well, how, how the hell is that going to work? Right. If you, you'll charge it every night. <laughs> and then you'll remember at four in the morning to wake up. Put it on. Yeah. Like you have to set your iPhone alarm to remind you. <laughs> there you go. And fortunately, that alarm goes no matter what. Right. So your iPhone alarm will go off. You'll put the watch on. And then four hours later, you'll wake up. Right. Uh, there is some talk. I forget where it came out. Like in the dribs and drabs of stuff that's coming out in the last few weeks. Um there's something that came out of that it might charge very quickly, that it won't take all night to charge, that it'll charge pretty fast. And that might not even be because the charging technology is all that fast, but just simply that it's such a tiny battery. It's that, got a tiny battery, right, exactly. Right. It can't have that big a battery given how given how big it is. Right, that maybe like an iPad that was charging at the same rate would take a week, but, right. but the watch can charge in half an hour or something like that. And did, did they say anything? Is the bigger watch going to have a bigger battery it must right i i i mean why wouldn't it i can't imagine that 
I can't imagine that they would put a smaller battery in it just so that it has the same, you know, and, and, you know, presumably it's going to need, the laws of physics would say that it's right. going to need a bigger, it's going to, the screen's going to use more energy because it has, right. it's, so, it, it's so that's just, actually the question is, is will it have longer battery life? Right. Is it like an iPhone 6, 6 plus type thing where the bigger one is going to have noticeably better battery life? Or is it the other way around where maybe, maybe the extra size of the screen eats up all the extra battery life right. that they can fit in there? I don't know. It's a good question. I guess we'll see in a week, maybe. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about this because for whatever reason, selfishly, I had known that if I get one of these, I'm, I'm going to want 42 millimeters not the 38 okay. millimeter. So I haven't really thought about the 38 millimeter ones. And then when it comes to cost, I haven't really uh, like it, the game that everybody's playing, you know, the last two weeks, including me, I mean, I'm not pointing figures, uh, but you know, how much are these things going to cost? Uh, I hadn't occurred to me that the 38 millimeter one would cost less. Right. At any level, aluminum, steel, the gold, gold, it makes it with the gold, right? Right. Because even if the price isn't really based on the price of gold, it, it, there's the illusion that it is right right yeah so if you if you if they were the same price then somebody's getting something for free right uh, right it feels like you're getting anyway. it actually feels like you're getting ripped off if they're the same price if you're right. getting the bigger right. one or the smaller one but anyway we can we can talk about pricing in a moment we should but with pebble i don't know at the, the bottom line i i'm very impressed by what they've showed i don't think i'm gonna like it and i think you're right that maybe it's not even fair because i'm an iphone user but I'm rude. I'm certainly rooting for them. Oh, I think it's I think it's certainly great to have anybody in the space doing something to compete with Apple and doing something different where hopefully some ideas cross pollinate instead of, you know, somebody coming directly head on and and you're just trying to match features. Here it's something where uh Pebble has some very different ideas and, yeah. and potentially it, it changes the way you do things on both platforms. And Android Wear, I think one of the things that to me was a little surprising about uh, the when the Apple Watch was unveiled in September was how at least at the hardware level, it's sort of the same basic idea as Android Wear. Right. Like it's, you know, a phone type display, you know, whether it's IPS or whether it's OLED or whatever. It sounds like Apple's is going to be OLED because they want the blacks to, you know, they want the deeper blacks. Um, but it, it, whatever the actual technology, it's a, you know, a light up bright color phone display with a touch screen, you know, it's take a, take a modern smartphone and shrink it to your watch. Right. At a fundamental level. Now I think Apple watch is clearly more ambitious than Android wear in terms of having apps actually on the watch. And Android wear is a little bit more about just showing you these cards that are based on your Google now profile. It's more like, here's all the stuff Google knows about you. Google knows you have a flight tomorrow because your Gmail has the flight confirmation from the airline. And so they put a card on here. And since they know you have a flight and you're going to, you know, I don't know, San Francisco, then they know to put a card on there that has your weather for San Francisco. You know, it's this right. card-based interface. But just at the hardware level, you know, it's this one day of battery life, Bluetooth connection to your phone with a bright color screen. And Pebble... Well, Pebble has a very different take on that with the battery. Right. Life. I mean, the Pebble's obviously very different with the with the e-paper, with the e-ink. But what what might you have expected Apple to do any differently? I guess. I don't know. I uh, you know I, I I guess it's not. I mean, the digital crown is sort of their yes. distinguishing hardware characteristic, right? Absolutely. And and I know that it sounds like a trivial little thing. And I pointed this out on Twitter the other day. Uh, 
And a whole bunch of like Android people were like, uh, dude, all the Android Wear phones have a crown. Look, and they're, but they don't. They have buttons. They have a, it looks, you know, it, it's placed where it goes on a watch. You know, it's over there in the same place where a dot, you know, a crown is on a watch. But on all the Android Wear phones that I've seen to date, it's just a button that you press to like wake it up or dismiss things or something. What I mean that Apple, you know, has done that is original is the spinning crown and that it's right. a big part of the interaction of using the device. Well, you, I, I think they talked about it, right? That the, you know, the gesture on the iPad, you know, 10 years ago, the, the, uh, the spinning wheel was a big deal and then touch multi-touch on the iPhone. And now this is sort of the new gesture that, uh, you know, is distinguishing and, and potentially changes the way you're going to use this sort of thing. Right. That I think that, yeah, I think you're right though, that in the video, like I think Johnny, I've, you know, we're not like putting words in his mouth. That's exactly what he said. Like that each one of those leaps forward came with one new thing, like the Macintosh with the mouse pointer, right? Right. You have a thing on your desk that you slide around your desk and it moves a pointer on your screen. That's what the crown is to the Apple watch. Yeah. So, so when you did the, when you got to try one on, did, would, did you try one of the functional ones on or did you just no, have the, I, I know they had like a demo, no, nobody that I know of got to try on. Only Apple employees got, had the functioning ones. The ones that I got to try on were all running the loop. But the loop right. included, like when it, it included things like getting a text message. So okay. it's like, you know, it wasn't like a movie was playing on a watch. It's like a series of events. Yeah. You know. Right. But it's still not. Uh, so, but so did you use the digital crown at all? I got to spin it, but I did not get to use it in a meaningful way. Like it, like when I spun it, it didn't affect what was going on on the watch. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of what I was trying to get at is that I guess almost nobody besides Apple people has any experience with how this interface actually works. Right. And we'll oh, and that, that reminds me, I have a bit of, um, uh, up from last week with, uh, I had uh, John Moltz on the show, and I used the wrong word. I described, <laughs> I described the feel of the digital crown as uh, I used the word lugubrious. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was a, a really wonderful word that started with L, but lugubrious uh, is a word that means looking or sounding sad and dismal. It and, sounds like it means like liquid. Yeah, which is somehow why extemporaneously speaking, it came to mind. The word I was looking for was uh, lubriciousness. As in lubricated? Yes. Lub okay. Lubricious I is a word that means, uh, well, the first sense of it is not what I mean. The first sense means offensively displaying or intended to arouse sexual desire. Uh, that is not what I meant. I meant no, definition two, smooth and slippery with oil or a similar substance. Okay. And there is, it's simply the only word that I've encountered that describes the feel of the digital crown. It has a wonderful, wonderful, almost magical lubriciousness to it. All right. I'm telling you, when this thing comes out and everybody gets to play with it, I'm telling you, this is all everybody is going to say is, oh my God, I like to just sit there and spin that wheel. It just has this, this wonderful feel. It feels amazing. It does not feel like you're spinning a mechanical thing. It feels like you're, like it's somehow suspended in the world's like best oil and that it's like not even touching anything mechanical and it just spins in the oil. And it doesn't 
it doesn't spin. It doesn't ever reach an endpoint, right? No, it spins infinitely in both directions, right. like a like a mouse pointer or a, you know a mouse wheel, like a scroll wheel. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So if you were if if uh, it's still and I you know people say to me like I say like even on the show last week I, I I'll emphasize I really I still have so many questions about Apple. I mean I'm kind of bummed that I'm not going to the event because I have so many questions, but. Uh, you know, and there's so many other events where I go and I don't really have that many questions. You know what I mean? Like, it's right. When the, there's a new iPhone, it's not right. going to be terribly different from the old iPhone. Right. Like the, or the, uh, the better example would be the iPads last year. Okay. Right? Yeah. Cause at least with the iPhones last year, it's like, well, am I going to like a bigger phone? How, you know, the big phone was kind of a curiosity, but with the iPads, it was like, <laughs> same as last year, but now they have touch ID. It's like, okay. And I'm not saying, I don't blame Apple. I'm not saying that was a bad event. I'm saying that's somehow that's how progress happens. I'm just saying if I had to miss that event, I I don't really feel like I was missing out on a chance to really learn anything. I mean, it was pretty easy to figure out, you know, remotely. Um, Whereas the watch, I have so many questions, so many questions. And and I don't don't see how anybody couldn't, you know, be chock full of questions. Because the one thing they've shown that you use the crown for is zooming. So when you're on the home screen, you can turn it one way, spin it one way, and the apps get smaller, and you'll see more of them. And you spin it the other way, and you zoom in, which makes them easier to tap. Uh, and then the photos work the same way. So you can zoom out, and you see, you know, thousands of t- or hundreds, I guess, of tiny little thumbnails. And then you can zoom in and make them bigger. But are you going to be able to use it to scroll, or when you scroll, is that you know, like you use the touch screen? I mean, I yeah. can't imagine that you're going to want to read long passages of text, but you know, it, it it still seems to me like that would work for scrolling too, because that it would, for the same reason that they said that they didn't want to use touch for everything, which is that your you know your big fat finger covers everything, just gets in the way, yeah, right. Uh, I should take another break for a sponsor, but I'll, I'll just off the top of my head, another thing I know I've mentioned this before, but it's okay because everybody forgets all sorts of stuff. But I keep getting questions on Twitter about whether there are going to be left-handed. Uh, models of the watch and the answer is no you can just it's a setting it might even right yeah you just turn it upside down and because the straps come right off it's very easy you'll just take the straps off put the you know top strap on the bottom bottom strap on the top and then when you put it on your wrist it like knows that oh you're left-handed and it'll just turn the whole interface upside down and the only is is it not even a setting that you need to adjust I don't think so. Although I don't know because I, I asked, it might be the sort of thing that if, if you do it before you go through the first run, it'll recognize it and know. Okay. Um, but otherwise, you know, I think it's just a quick setting, you know, open up settings and, you know, tap a checkbox and, uh, and it just turns upside down. Right. So the only difference you'll have as a left-handed user is that your crown will be underneath the button. And so oh, yeah, right. instead of the crown being above the button, it'll be below the button. That's the only difference, which does make it a little weird. It still makes me, you know, I'm still curious about the whole idea that it's not centered, that the crown isn't centered. Because if the crown were centered, which it is on a lot of watches, then it would be it would be identical left-handed and right-handed. I don't think it's a big difference, though. And I also know, I saw firsthand walking around after the event, I saw Eddie Q... Um, wearing his and he's left-handed and he had it on his right hand upside down. Well, wait, wait, but there's only one button, right? There's the crown on the button. Right. But the button is underneath the, when you're wearing it on your left wrist, the crown is at the top and the buttons underneath. So if you turn it upside down, 
the crown is on the bottom and the button is at the top. Right, right. But even if even if the crown were centered, the button would still. Oh yeah, have, the button would still. Yeah, that's have flipped. Yeah, exactly. I'm I, in my, you know, I wonder why they didn't do it this way. World, it would. I guess it's sort of why didn't they put the button on one side and the crown on the other, and right? Have them both in the center. But if you're going to put one above the other, it would definitely not be the same left-handed and right-handed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me take a break here and thank our good friends at Casper. C A S. P E R Casper. This is the mattress people, right? These are the mattress people online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. The mattress industry has inherently forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups and they confuse the hell out of you. You know, you go into one mattress store and it's like the, the Sealy Posturepedic uh, XPC27, you go to the next store, they don't have that one. They Because they, they from one store to another, they sell the same mattress with a completely different name so that you can't do the sort of comparison shopping that any sane person would do when, when you know, buying something, you know, significant like a mattress. Um, it's a scam. It's a cartel. Well, Casper is busting it up. Uh, revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and all that crap. They just pass the savings directly to you, the consumer. Is it any good? Yes. A Casper mattress provides resilience and long lasting supportive comfort. Casper's mattress is one of a kind. It's a new hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. Uh, now I've had one here. I've also been on one of those memory foam mattresses. I don't like it. I feel like you get, you get sunk in there like you're in an egg carton or something like that. <laughs> I, I don't want to get up from bed and have like a, a crime scene outline on my body on the bed. This isn't like that at all. It's like just enough of the memory ish stuff that I, I'm surprised that there's any of it, but they use a little bit of it. You know, that's what they call it, but it's not, you know, there's no like outline of your body in there. Um, we go to a retail store. Mattresses often cost well over fifteen hundred bucks. Uh, that's a that's a fact. I've I, it's unbelievable how much mattresses. Like that's like one of those little things about getting in the real world where you have to buy your own beds and like you all said, of a sudden it's two grand out of your pocket. <laughs> or yeah, it's two grand to get a cr- crane to put your refrigerator in your in your house. <laughs> and you're like, are you serious? Two thousand dollars? Jesus. Well. Casper mattresses cost between 500 bucks for a twin size mattress, uh, 600 for a twin XL. I didn't even know twin XL was a size. 750 for full, 850 for queen, and only 950 bucks for a king size mattress. 950 bucks for a top quality mattress. Uh, now, it, they totally understand the whole idea of buying. It's just the same thing with Warby Parker. How are you going to buy glasses? Uh, without trying them on. Well, how are you going to buy a mattress without trying it out? Here's the thing. It's completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns within a 100-day period. So buy it. It shows up at your house, it, and it's is amazing. It shows, it's, you think, well, how the hell do they ship a mattress? Well, they because they use the foam, because it, it's like this foam type thing, they vacuum seal the thing up, and it shows up in a box that's like the size of... It's like pot- a sandwich, right? Ah, no, it's like a little, little, uh, <laughs> it's, it's all right. Like two sandwiches. That's it. It's a little bit bigger than a sandwich, but it's, it's surprisingly small. It's probably about the same size as the box that your little dorm room, uh, temporary fridge came in. Uh, right. amazingly small for, uh, uh, the queen size mattress that I had him send. Uh, can't believe it. But it's like when they tell you to, to if you want to take some advice, when they tell you to put it in a room where you want it before you open it, do, do that. 
do that. Now, does it explode out of the box, or it does, does it just not explode? But it is very rapid. It it, it the mattress wants to be big. <laughs> the mattress wants to expand to the size of a mattress. Um, but you have a hundred days, no questions. They you don't like have to call them up and and talk to like a hard sell uh, Comcast guy who's going to be like trying to talk you into keeping a mattress. You don't like it if you you just you just send it right back. And, you know, I guess getting it out of your house is going to be a little bit harder than getting it in because it's already expanded. But they, they take care of it. No questions asked. No hassle. There's no guy who's going to, you know, give you a hard time about sending it back. They'll take it back because they're so confident uh, that you're going to like it. And, in fact, I think – I don't know. I might be wrong here. But I think that they've had such success that they actually, like, expand – I think that 100-day period is actually uh, longer than it used to be because there were so few people who sent it back. Um where do you go to find out more? Go to Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R, caspersleep.com uh, slash talk show. Now, they don't have the the. This gets so confusing. <laughs> They've just got slash talk show, caspersleep slash talk show. They'll know you came from here. Uh, and you'll get 50 bucks towards your mattress. You'll save 50 bucks just by using that code. So it really does make sense to, to get it right. Slash talk show. Um, and uh, get, get a new mattress. You're shopping for a mattress you can't lose, really. Hey, are you sure they don't have the the? Because it 404s without it. Ah, uh, well, the, th- the thing I have here in front of my face it just says Casper Sleep www. Do you do www? Casper no, you Sleep. want, you, it does have the the the. It does have the yeah. Well, there we go. Good thing that Paul Kafasis is here. I check these ads for you. Check these ads. I, maybe what happened is that after I bitched about it the last time that they didn't have the the, then they added the the, but then they got rid of the got the, rid of the. the. Could well, be. anyway, thank God, Paul. You know, Paul. I just Kifasis. saved you fifty bucks, somebody. Yeah. Anybody. And some embarrassing four hundred fours, and and uh, who knows. You know what kind of horrible stuff would happen. So anyway, it's casper.com slash the talk show. Good for them for putting the the in there. I paid good money for that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we talked about Pebble. We're talking about Apple Watch. Uh, we could get into pricing. I know I've written about this. Uh, I don't. I mean, you you've written about it, and and that was interesting enough. I I find it sort of. It, we're going to know in a week, right? Right. I do. I know. I, that's the thing about doing the show. The show before an event is fun because it's like the one time where you can you can be completely wrong and just make stuff up and it's like anything could happen. Uh, but then it's like, you know, six days from now, everything we said is either going to be completely wrong and <laughs> we look like idiots or even if we were right, it doesn't matter because Who everybody cares? knows yeah. it's true. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the most interesting thing to me is – seeing just how big the range is and you know they said they, they've only told us one thing that it's 349 for the very cheapest watch right and that to me means i figure there's like a slight chance it's actually 299 what do you think no you don't think you don't think they come down from that nope haven't they done that before i think i feel like there was a product where they had pre-announced a price and then they dropped it 50 bucks I, I mean, it certainly is more possible than that they that they raise the price. You know, right? It's yeah, def- it's, not, it's it's certainly not going to be more than three forty nine to start. Right. There's going to be at least one model you can get for three forty nine for sure. Um, I guess two ninety nine is possible, but I don't know. That just feels it feels to me like a side effect of the Tim Cook era of Apple is that they've they've really neatened up on things like that. 
you know, like, uh, like famously with the iPhone, uh, when they announced it at Macworld in January, 2007, it had some kind of high polymer plastic touchscreen. Right. And then it was like right in May, like where they like first, and then like announced like final shipping dates and stuff. And they said, and by the way, uh, we've upgraded the display from plastic to this amazing glass from, from, uh, you know, what's that company? Uh, Corning Corning. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and, in in stories that have come out in the years since it was, this is clearly like, uh, you know, you know that it was Steve who's like, God damn it. You know, this is nicer. So we're definitely doing it. We're not waiting a year. We're getting it in here now. And that it's like up to Tim Cook to like somehow make this happen where like, oh, and, and I think the story was like, they had to find a factory. They had to like ramp the factory up to do it. It wasn't as if this existed and was being made. Right. It was like, there nobody was a whole, was, it was crazy. Right. It was like, nobody was really using it. Like Corning and invented gorilla glass years before, but nobody had really found a use for it. And they just didn't, you know, it was, you know, they more or less needed them to like make more of it than they'd ever made before. Right. And by the way, it's got to happen in like the next four weeks. <laughs> so, and so you're saying that, I, I don't think, think stuff right, like that tighter. Yeah. Stuff like that doesn't happen anymore. I don't think I don't, you know, I think part of it is that jobs was clearly impetuous and I don't think anybody would describe Tim Cook as <laughs> impetuous. And, you know, I just think that, you know, it's just a little bit more orderly. Like okay, I feel so, like I feel like as of September, Tim Cook knew that they could sell this entry thing for three forty nine, and you know, marketing wise, whatever you know, however they decided that that looks good as the entry level price. I just don't see how that would change. Okay, so we're starting at three forty nine. Uh, yeah, so to me, the only I don't care if it's you know exactly nine ninety nine or twelve ninety nine, whatever. But I think the the interesting thing to me is just the three price points of you know the entry level and then just the straight up Apple Watch and the addition which i think is i hate that uh that uh suffix as a uh, to try and mean a whole nother thing but uh, the more i write about it the harder the it it is it never ceases being a mouthful to, to apple watch edition right because you i keep wanting to use editions to mean what they call collections right yeah that's that's just the word edition means or, or often means you know a group of something right uh, and so I find it very awkward for that to be a model, but right. w- whatever. And uh, combined with the fact, and I've still, to this date, still not gotten used to the fact that the mid-price or mid-level, the steel one is just called Apple Watch. I really wish that it was the, you know. The basic one was. Apple Watch Sport, Apple Watch Steel, Apple Watch Edition. I don't call it something, you know. I, oh, I, give give that one, give that one some sort of suffix as well. That they all have a name, right. Right. There'd be like Sport Steel and Edition. Uh, uh, you know, I kind of see why they didn't. I'm not even saying because I can't think of a good name. I don't think Steel is a great name. I think you know, it's you know, it, I don't know. It's not great. Sounds heavy. Yeah, and it's maybe sounds a little masculine. Right. I, uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. You know. Um. Uh, so I know. Uh, you know. I don't know. And regular, regular sounds stupid too. <laughs> you know, it's just called Apple Watch, but it still it makes it very hard to write about because sometimes when you say Apple Watch, you mean all of them, you know, like your app, right. your app just runs on Apple watch and it doesn't matter which one you bought. Um, but when you're shopping, if you just buy an Apple watch, you're buying a very specific model. You know, you're buying the stainless steel one. It's very confusing, perhaps worrisome. I don't know. Maybe it's a little worrisome that it's that, that they've, you know, they're coming out with something that seems so con- sometimes is so hard to talk about. 
Well, it's interesting because you, before we did the, before we started the show, you sent me this image that somebody made, and it was based on pricing predictions you had made. Yeah. And they, they made this whole image, and it was just, you know, here's all the prices. And I guess you said it got circulated as if this was a real leak, right? I'm, I'll, I'll put a, I will absolutely positively, Dave, <laughs> make sure I put this in the show notes. Um, I've already got a link in my, my show notes as we go. It's a, a guy, oh, God, why can't anybody on a forum give themselves a real name? <laughs> Pejjur1 is a Mac uh, Rumors forum member, and last week he posted this image. Um, and he, here's what he wrote. He's very honest. He's straightforward about it. He wrote, I made this speculative price list based in large part on Gruber's speculation, colon. And then here's the image that he made. But he he's using Apple photography of the watches and he's set the names in the you know San Francisco font and he's got the prices in Helvetica so it it's vaguely styled or roughly styled in the format of Apple's marketing materials I could tell by looking at it right away that it's not official it's there's little subtle things that are off about the the fonts but uh it's close enough that 95% of people could easily be convinced that this is from Apple. Right. And, and so then it got circulated as if this had leaked out of Apple. Right. Because right, it's all one big image. And of course, it hit Twitter and people stop, you know, immediately, especially when the source is something like a forum post at Mac Rumors. Uh, and it like spun out of control, like incredibly fast. Like within 24 hours over the last weekend, it went from, did you see that there was a guy who posted a thing in the, the Mac Rumors forum to uh, like, the poor kid, some poor kid at I download blog, like by the next day had written, these are the Apple watch prices. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then had to retract it later. Yeah. Had to retract it with a, a horribly, con- uh, he was very contrite about it, but you know, well, was, what was interesting about the whole thing? I still get the- it. If you look at my Twitter stream, by the way, right now, as we speak, there's, you won't have to go more than 20 or 30 before you'll find somebody asking me what I think about this leaked price list. <laughs> Which is based on your own predictions, right? From like two weeks earlier, right? But it's actually not. I actually think that these prices are are off. There's some things that I think he he probably got right, and he was very thoughtful about. But uh, I think once he gets past Apple Watch Sport, he's vastly underestimating the price of these things. Well, what I thought was interesting about it was just how clunky the image was, and it shows. Yeah, I have to pull the thing up, but it shows there's like 18 rows, aren't there? Uh, at least, right? One. Right, and it's it's showing, you know, here's the intro sport, here's the steel sport, here's the main Apple Watch, here's the Apple Watch in space gray or whatever, and... He's got 12 pricing tiers. Okay. And each one in two sizes, 38 and 42. And right, we, we right. mentioned this so, earlier so in the show. I, I think that actually makes sense that... I don't know about at the sport level. I could see, like, maybe at sport, they're both just 349 and you just pick the size you want. But then I think once you go to steel and gold, there there probably will be a small difference in price. Right. But it was interesting just because of how clunky it actually is. And, you know, we were talking about how clunky it is to talk about the different uh, collections. Uh and I think it's, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see just how this plays out because Apple has not really ever had anything, at least not recently, that was this complex or this complicated. Right. It is like buying a watch. I mean, like when you go and buy, you know, a watch at a jewelry store, you know, you can't just say I want a you know Rolex Explorer and 
Well, I guess Rolex Explorer is actually one where there is just one. <laughs> but maybe that's a bad example. <laughs> you take the one example to right. just but, prove your point. But. You know, like a Rolex Submariner has all sorts of color choices just on the dial. There's a blue dial. There's a green dial. Uh, the black dial is the t- traditional one. Steel, steel with gold, all gold, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that there's, you know, all sorts of matrices like that within the line of all the major watch brands where, you know, certain watches come in all sorts of different, you know, dial colors and band colors and stuff like that. But it's absolutely nothing like any Apple product before. Right. And, and you know, Apple used to have these terrible matri- matrices of products, you know, the 10 different models of Performa back in the early 90s and so on. Right. And then I think it's, in my mind, it's sort of burned in uh, where Steve Jobs would have a grid and there would just be four items. Right. Right. And it's, you know, good, better, best. And, and I don't know, I guess there's, that's only three items, but, uh, and, well, and- famously, the, I, I, it, to me, it was like a moment where I remember thinking, like, I think that this guy is going to do it. I think he's going to turn the company around. Is that, that four way matrix for it was laptop, desktop, Laptops, yeah, de- right. pro consumer. And so right, that's exactly. it. So it's, so it's the iBook, it's the PowerBook, it's the iMac, it's the PowerMac, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's really the one I'm thinking. Yeah, of, yeah. and it was brilliant. And it, it, in hindsight, I think it's so easy to underestimate the brilliance of that decision. But it it cut all sorts. You know, cutting products out of a company is always painful politically, unless you're somebody like Jobs who just doesn't give a shit about the policy. You know, Care, screw yeah. you if your job was running the Performa 700 line. You know, <laughs> you know, get with the program. Uh, and none of the no other computer company had a had a lineup like that. Right. I mean, even to this day, if you go to like Dell.com and try to configure a, oh, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare trying to, you, it's hard to even figure out, like, even if you just know, I want like the, the maxed out, you know, I want the best laptop I can get. It's like hard to figure it out. Right. It's, this is nothing like that. And again, that's not to say that if Steve Jobs were still around, they wouldn't be doing this. Who knows? You know, maybe, you know, he and Johnny Ive mapped out these watches, you know, five years ago and, you know, he'd be right on board. Watches are different. You know, there's no, you know, you can't sell watches like you sell PCs and laptops. Well, say, I, I, well, or you, well, they're not they're not willing to try at least right, right now, or they're, or they're they're looking to try doing it the way you normally sell a watch, as opposed to the way that they sell phones and computers. Yeah, no, I guess you're right. I shouldn't say you can't. I should say it doesn't. It, Apple apparently doesn't think that they can, or right. that they should. Well, and so the interesting thing to me is I I was in an Apple store uh, what about a week ago, and I they haven't shown how the stores are going to change, but they're clearly going to have to change. And I think that's something that everyone will see in the near future. And, and that, to me, is is more interesting than just speculating on the price. Is, you know, you've been in a store recently, right? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah, what are they going to do? I don't know. I mean, and they even said in the New Yorker story on Johnny Ive, that big, long right. profile, they even mentioned that one of the things he's got going on is that he's leading a redesign of the store. It sounds to me like from it was sort of an offhand remark in, you know, the, the article was so long that it's easy to just throw something off, but it it's, it seems like a huge undertaking that they're going to redesign all of the stores. You know, he's working hand in hand with Angela Arntz on that. Um, right. Uh, partly for the watch, for sure. I'm I'm guessing partly just to build for the future because who knows what they're going to do next, you know. But 
I have no idea what they're going to do. I, my best guess at this point is that there's nowhere near enough time for them to renovate, even if it's not a total redesign of every store, even if it's some kind of, we're going to renovate the where the Genius Bar used to be or something. You know, we're going to get rid of all the, uh, you know, take this take the spot in the stores where they used to sell gift cards. And if, I guess if you want a gift card now, you just talk to somebody and we'll use that space to sell the watches. Um, I don't think, the I don't think the vast majority of stores are going to have the addition models. I think that at least to okay. start out, my best this is my best because I just don't think there's enough time. Like it's already right. March second. If they don't ship until April thirty, which would be the and and I don't think that's good. given that the event is on March 9th, I'm kind of thinking they're going to ship in early April. Right. Um. But you know the the longest period of time they have between it's like seven weeks. Right. And there's no way that they could do that across however many hundred stores they have. So do you think, I think it's like three or 400 stores now, yeah. So do you think the addition models will be something that you go to New York City or LA or, you know. Could uh, be to start. And certainly San Francisco. Uh, right, right, Palo Alto, sure. You know, there's, there's whatever, wherever. Maybe the major cities. Yeah, well, and maybe the, all the stores that are like landmarks. Okay. You know, you know, there's, I don't know what, I don't quite think that they have like a tier of those stores, you know, like a name for it. But they're, you know. The ones like in London that Tim Cook was just at this week, you know, the ones that look architecturally interesting and, and that are right. physically bigger, that they'll have, you know, a separate little uh, a salon, you know, where you'll buy the addition models. I think I, you know, and I think they could, they could even start and just say it's only in three cities to start New York, you know, Los Angeles and San Francisco. And then they'll slowly roll that out over time. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, the, to me, that's that's a very interesting aspect of it that you know not a lot of people will consider, and, and maybe it doesn't really matter that much. But this is it's not it's not changing the company the way that the iPad changed the company because that was, or it's changing it much more than the iPad or even the iPhone changed the company because those are still computing devices that are sold the way computing devices are sold, and the watch clearly is not going to be sold that way. Right, and it's there's so many different ways where it's like you can't have it both ways. Like if you're going to say we're going, and I just, I really do believe that this is true that these are ten thousand dollar watches. Maybe you know if and again if I'm right that they're that they sell a gold link band, twenty thousand dollar watches, right? Um, and that's totally reasonable given the price of fine watches and solid gold bracelets in the market today. Um, but you can't have those things being sold by kids wearing jeans and t-shirts, <laughs> right? Who, who like their next, the next thing that they're doing is, uh, scanning somebody's Hello Kitty iPhone case. <laughs> right? You probably, what, yeah. What yeah. can I help you with? I'm buying a Hello Kitty iPhone case. Oh, okay. Thank you. Here you go. Do you want a receipt? Nope. All right. Uh, I'm buying a $15,000 watch. Okay. Here you go. <laughs> Like Mol I think Volt said last week, do you think they're gonna let you do the, the walk out and pay on your own? <laughs> you just walk out the door. You don't even imagine how hard you'd get tackled. <laughs> Trying to walk out of the store with a self paid fifteen thousand dollar watch. <laughs> like they're just gonna have them on the shelf just in a little little case. Yeah, you just I, grab it and you flash your receipt and you're good to go. No, I I don't know. I'm having so much fun with this watch thing. And again, it's not even because I know I want one and I can't wait to get it. Cause I don't even know. I'm so, so many questions about what I would find useful with it. I just find it useful. Like as somebody who's professionally paid to write about the company that there's so many things we don't know. 
And it just, right. it, and there don't seem to be good answers for it. There just does not seem to be a good answer for how do you sell a $10,000 gold watch in the Apple store in as Apple we know store, it. Yeah. Um, like I said, the Moltz last week, I know in the Philly store, we have an upstairs that's not retail. You can't wander up there. It's like the business center and they have classes and stuff like that. Um, and I could see them apportioning, you know, like, like if you go in to buy the edition, you would be taken up there. But even then, even if, if like you get escorted to a quiet salon type experience and get, you know, a concierge level of, of sales, get some cucumber water. Yeah. Cucumber water and, you know, maybe a glass of bubbly, uh, and you get to try these watches on while sitting, you know, or whatever. I still don't see how you go from the front of the store to where you tell somebody, you know, that's what you're here for. Right. Like at some, you know, like that's like it, my big irritation with Apple stores in general is that it's sometimes it's so hard to get somebody's attention. Like if you know exactly what you want to get. Right. You know, like, um, uh, we got Jonas, uh, uh, a MacBook for Christmas. Uh, uh, and I knew, I knew exactly what I wanted to get. And it's like, you know, it didn't take too long. And, it, you know, I have to say, you know, given that it was the holiday season and, and everything, it didn't take too long, but it seemed to take a little bit too long, given that I knew exactly what I wanted when I stepped foot into the store. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now they're adding a whole separate section, most likely. And right. Like if you walk into a Tiffany to buy some fine jewelry, you know, there's no, there aren't any, there's no loud crowds, you know. <laughs> You don't, no kids sitting on round balls playing Bugs Life or I right. whatever the current game is. It's, you know, and who knows? You know, I, you know, maybe if it's like the Christmas or whatever, maybe you might have to wait before a salesperson will will come greet you. But once the first salesperson who greets you is going to be able to handle your request, whether it's for a $150 pendant or whether it's for a $15,000 pendant, right? It's like... Whatever it is that you're there to buy at Tiffany, that your sales rep is going to make you feel, you know, comfortable and, you know, like you're in the right place. Right. <laughs> Whereas I just don't get it with that with the Apple. <laughs> I think the more I think I wrote about this last week. I the more I look at the bands, the more I think that there's going to be wide variation in pricing based on the band. I'm convinced of it. And I think it's sort of how they fill in the gaps. Like if you're looking, I think if you're looking, and I, this is how I, I, for months, I was thinking, well, three main price points, you know, 349 for sport, something, maybe a thousand for the steel and 5,000 for gold or whatever. I think that within each collection, I'm making sure I use the right word within right. each collection, there's going to be, uh, I think, a, a not startlingly big, but a very wide variety. Like I could see the steel Just based one. Based on the bands. Yeah, I could see the steel one like starting at like seven hundred dollars with the rubber band. What do they call it? Polyurethane. What's the famous the their fancy word for rubber band? Rubber strap. Uh fluoroelastomer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I would not have come up with that. Uh black fluoroelastomer. Um so I could see that starting at let's say seven hundred, which would be double the price of the sport watch, which to me is like a reasonable like increment to go from aluminum to steel. You double it. Um, but then I would think like the ones with the leather bands would be a couple hundred bucks more than that, and I could see like the the metal link band one being like fifteen hundred dollars or even two thousand dollars. And I know everybody else is like nobody else is thinking that for the steel one, but I I could see them doing it. I read. I just reread it before we started the show on on Apple Watch's 
page. You go to apple.com slash watch slash apple dash watch. Now this is probably going to change next week. So you, you know, go check it out before, you know, I'm guessing the website will be redone after it's released. But if here's their description for the link bracelet, this is for the steel watch. This isn't for the edition. This is for a steel watch crafted from the same 316 L stainless steel alloy as the case. The link bracelet has more than 100 components. The machining process is so precise. It takes nearly nine hours to cut the links for a single band. In part, that's because they aren't simply a uniform size, but subtly increase in width as they approach the case. Once assembled, the links are brushed by hand to ensure that the texture follows the contours of the design. The custom butterfly closure folds neatly within the bracelet, and several links feature a simple release button so you can add and remove links without any special tools. Available in stainless steel and black stainless steel. If it takes nine hours for them to cut one, and then after it's assembled, it's polished by hand, that that's not going to be like $150 extra. Like I, I seri- I, I'm not exaggerating. Like that, that might be like a $1,500 bracelet. Like it might, might mean that the, you know, the watch that comes with that bracelet is, is $2,000. I mean, reading that description, it certainly sounds more, much more expensive than I think what people are anticipating. Yeah. Right. It's like at first, like the way they showed it at the event in September, it's like, you can get a bracelet that matches your taste. You know, maybe you're, you know, maybe, and I like, I have, I've had, over the years, I've had many watches with like a rubber plastic strap. I find them to be very comfortable. I think, you know, I, I always feel like you can get them nice and tight and then they have a little bit of give. I, I, I think the, the fluoro elastomer band is going to be great. Um, but they made it seem as though it's like, pick the one that matches your style. And, you know, maybe, you know, I think everybody thought, well, maybe this, the link bracelet will cost a little bit more. But I, if you think about it, if you just start with the assumption that it's going to cost a lot more, that description makes a lot more sense. Nine hours to cut the links is for one, one, for one bracelet. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you what, they're saying, you know, that's because they chained width slightly. Maybe they could have just made them the same width. Well, or maybe you could have cut in about four hours. Well, why couldn't you have one machine that cuts the first link? One machine, you know. Right, right, right. It actually, it's, it seems kind of crazy that it takes nine hours, you know. But I mean, I have no reason to doubt them. But they certainly seem to be setting it up. It, that to me sounds like the description of a fifteen hundred dollar bracelet of an expensive piece of of watch band. Yeah, right. Well, and I, the thing that's the thing that's so interesting to me is that. All of these watches are the same, right? Like the gold, whatever it costs, whether it's only fifteen hundred bucks or whether it's fifteen thousand bucks, it's still the exact same device as the watch that you're going to get for three hundred forty nine bucks, <laughs> and that's nuts. Well, but there is precedent for that in the the some precedent, not scaling all the way it, down to three forty nine, but that's you know like if you buy a Rolex Submariner in stainless steel. In the fashion world, there's huge precedent, right? Right. Or, yeah, or like handbags, right? That there, you know, there might be two Louis Vuitton bags, but one is made out of, uh, you know, I don't know, some kind of special rare leather, and the other one is made out of the regular leather, and it's, you know, $5,000 difference, and it's the exact same bag, same dimension, same pocket, same zippers, everything's the same, except one is made out of a different kind of leather, and it costs $5,000 more, you know. But in terms of technology, 
what has besides Nothing. besides the outlier like what's the Virtu is the one that makes a case for your phone that makes it worth like twice no a not a case it is a phone it's it's a whole phone right right, right. but it's, well but the, the value in it is all in the case right like, uh, yeah, the case of the phone the the casing Moltz and I were talking about this last week they also offer a, a, a concierge service where there's like a special button on the phone and then it you just hit this button and then you get like a virtue person who will be like, what do you like want? On star for your phone. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, I want to, you know, I want to go to an Italian restaurant tonight. <laughs> well, but I mean, besides these outliers in terms of selling technology, I don't think there's ever been anything like this. No, no, you cannot and, think of it as a technology product. You really, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, but I think, I think that's completely true, but I think the $349 one as a technology product is very interesting. Yeah. So it's it's almost like they're selling, you know, an Apple Watch for 349 bucks or Apple Watch Sport, whatever. And then they're also entering the fashion world with this, you know, all these bands and all these different cases and uh and it's it's two completely different markets. Yeah, absolutely. It's it also uh I remember the day of the event, the very day of the event back in September, I met Michael Lopp uh, in San Francisco, you know, like after he got out of work at five and um, we got a drink. And the first thing he said, and I thought it was so astute, is that it, it, it seems as though they're launching this product three years in. You know, that the Apple way to do it would have been the first one. Here's the here's Apple Watch. It's one size, one color, one style as a white band, here's what it does. And then the next year they fix it and make it better, whatever. And then maybe in the third year they say, okay, this has been great. It's been a great success. Now you can get it in steel. You can get it in gold, etc. You know, and here's all these other leather bands. Uh, right. This is fully formed in terms of, they didn't just make the watch and they didn't just make the watch in three different cases. They made all these bands and they've, they've done every, they've, they've really fine tuned every aspect of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think that they're going to cover a incredible gamut of price points. I think that, you know, and I think, you know, I think 90, 90 some percent. This is another thing. We The Wall Street Journal had this goofy story two weeks ago about some sources in the supply chain who said that they expect to sell like 50 percent sport and 33 percent. Uh, steel and 16% gold. That's, that's crazy. I, I, the more I think about it, the more I think that whoever told them that was just, you know, like a screwing with them. Yeah. Just totally screwing with them. Um, cause there is no way, well, unless I, it, it's possible that I'm completely wrong. Could be that I'm completely wrong. And the gold one is only going to cost, I don't know, $1,500 or something that's, you know, far more, you know, in line with the 349 price. If I'm right, though, that it's even if I'm only right that it's five thousand, let alone ten thousand to start, there's no way that sixteen percent of the ones they sell, they're not going to sell a million of those a month. It's right, it's crazy town, right? I mean, like Rolex only sells. Uh, I mean, Rolex is a very secretive company, but best that anybody can tell is Rolex sells somewhere around six hundred thousand uh, watches a year. There's some weird thing where they do they 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 have to submit them to a the Swiss, some Swiss government agency that's officially horological society or something. Yeah, it's like it's called COSC certification. I don't know. I could it, 
that maybe one of those sees is already a certification, but it officially certifies it as a chronometer that the government agency does certain testing that's probably less rigorous than what Rolex themselves is, but it lets them say it's an officially certified chronometer. And that, because it's like a government thing, the numbers come out. And it's something like Rolex certifies 800,000 watches a year, or at least they did in 2012, but that they might only sell 600,000 of them. I guess you don't get the watch certified. You get the movement certified, the the, okay, you know, and some of those might be for repairs or who knows. But they're such a, they're they're almost Apple like in their secrecy, and it, you know maybe it's just purposeful mis, misdirection. Yeah, but it could be that they're you know extras for repairs or whatever. Um, but at, at the very least, though, long long way of saying that's just a baseline for what you know the world's premier luxury watchmaker sells in a year six hundred thousand. Right. It's almost a ceiling. I mean, not that Apple can't sell more, or, or but it's it's a likely ceiling. Right. And a lot of Rolex's watches do not cost more than $10,000. I mean, a lot of them do, but I think by volume, you know, a lot of them sell less. So if the edition starts at $10,000, which I really do think it does, uh, the idea that they would sell a million of them a quarter <laughs> in the first year, it's just does not compute. I mean, and this is, I think, I don't think anybody would accuse me of being uh, a pessimist on Apple, you know, future Apple product success, you know, possibilities. But I'm just saying that in terms of, you know, just how the world seems to work in terms of people who spend that kind of money on, on jewelry, it just seems out of scale. So I think the Wall Street Journal is nuts. I think the addition is going to be like, I think they could. I think the company could ma- wind up making tons of money on them because even if only like one percent of the watches sold are the edition ones, if they're fifteen thousand on average, that's tons of money, right? right? It's thirty or forty times. Each one of them is thirty or forty times more expensive than a sport edition. Um, but there's no way it's going to be that. I don't think. I think the vast majority of people are going to come in and just buy a sport as though you know, like buying an iPod. You know, three hundred forty nine bucks. Boom. Right, yeah, the the market for the higher end and the highest end ones is certainly going to be very small compared to the market for uh, a consumer priced watch. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, and there's so many weird psychological things to it too, where it's like if they only had the one, if they did what seemingly would be the more obvious route and just said, here's the first Apple watch. It's $349. It comes in these colors. That's it. And maybe, you know, maybe do the 38 and 42 millimeter size thing because there is sort of a, they're they're not calling it men's and ladies, but clearly there's a sort of men's and ladies divide on average wrist size. Um, if they did that, you know, there'd be so many people who would say, wow, 349 bucks for a watch, you know, you know, you go in and buy a fossil watch, it's, you know, $75 or whatever. Um, there is that psychological thing where even if you don't even count the addition, if you just look at the stainless steel, um, if it's right next to a thousand dollar watch, 349 looks a lot better. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know. I think all of that goes into the strategy that they have here, you know, that, that if they want to sell, a gazillion $349 aluminum Apple watches that it helps them to do that by having these seemingly inexplicably more expensive. If you think of them as little risk computers uh, right next to them. Well, and especially because they never break, break down their sales based on model. Right. So a quarter in or, you know, a year in, they can say we sold, you know, whatever, 10 million watches. And if only, a thousand of them are the edition watches. No one's ever going to know. Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess it'll. Do be they s- break out the earnings based on 
I guess you could maybe calculate calculate it that way. No, but they've also said, though, that they've even said in advance so that nobody's disappointed that they're going to be less transparent about the watch. They're not even going to put the watch as a separate item. They're not going to say they're not even going to say we sold five million Apple watches. They're going to. Oh, wow. Okay. they've they've created this new other category and watch revenue will will go in there. It's going to be very, very difficult for outsiders to figure anything. Yeah. And, you know, it, to his credit, Tim Cook is very clear about it. It's, you know, for the obvious reason, it's competitive. You know, we don't want, we don't want our competitors to know the breakdown. All right. You go, you want to do your last sponsor break? Yeah, uh, I do. And it's our good friends at hover hover. You've ever heard of them? The best way to manage domain names. I have heard of hover. Uh, when you want to secure a great domain name, you go to hover. They have great tools, so you type in whatever your great idea.com is. You know what? Guess what? The dot com is probably taken. But they've got cool uh maybe it's not though. If it isn't, you're done, you can do it. But they've got some cool features that will help you find either an alternate uh top level domain other than dot com or some other variation or spin on um you know the words that you're looking to use uh to make it work with a dot com. Great, great tools. Uh it, it could not be I don't see how there's any hassle or friction that's left for them to remove from the process. Like it's as easy and simple as it could get. I don't see how they could get it any better in less than five minutes. You will be able to find the domain name you want and get it up and running. You just search for keywords. They'll show you the best options and you go from there. Super clean and simple. You don't have to mess around with any kind of complicated interface. Um, I always mention this, but if you've ever registered domain names before, and I've been registering domain names since uh, Aspirin was invented in 1853, um, <laughs> it, it notoriously these are the worst websites in the world. They're it's all SEO junk. It is all crazy upsells and just it could not be a worse experience. They're always trying to you know there's check boxes that are checked like uncheck if you don't want to not have. Uh, Domain privacy security uh, added to your account. What? I don't know what that means. And Hover doesn't have any of that crap. No upselling, uh, just straightforward, upfront pricing, great deal, great interface. You don't have to upgrade for things that should be included for free, like uh, who is privacy? Who is privacy is a big one. Who yeah. is privacy is a big one. Of course you want who is privacy. If you don't have who is privacy, you're going to get terrible spam phone calls nonstop. I get, I, from back in the day before there was who is privacy. Um, of course you want it. Well, almost every other domain registrar makes you pay extra for it. Well, it's just baked into the price of being a hover customer. Uh, and I haven't even mentioned the most amazing thing about hover, which is that they offer free valet transfer service. So you skip the hassle. You've got domains at other lesser registrars. Now go sign up for hover then use their free valet transfer service. You give the the kind, competent, trustworthy people at Hover, you give them the information, you know, your login information for your other uh, uh, domain registrars. Tell them you want to move your domains to Hover, and they just go take care of it. And they make sure all the DNS is set right. They go through whatever hoops the other registrar is going to make you go through to transfer a domain. They do it. And this is all they do is transfer domain. So it's like, I, you know, I'll go years without transferring a domain. I don't know how to do it. This is all the people at Hover do. Let the experts do it. It's, it could not be easier. Sounds too good to be true because they do it for free. 
but they do. I'm telling you, you just go there. Believe me, you have domains at uh, some crappy registrar. Sign up for Hover. Let them move them over, and boom, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, I have no idea what the uh, coupon code is for Hover. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, I do. They, they Hover gives me a new one every time, and today's coupon code for this show is all one word: Spring Training. So go type that in spring training. That's baseball. They're, they're making a baseball reference here on the talk show. Go to hover.com and use this code spring training at checkout. And a, they'll know you came from the show and uh, that's always appreciated. That's why, you know, sponsors like hover keep coming back and keep supporting the show. B you get something too. You'll save 10% off your first purchase uh, just by using that code. So use spring training uh, at hover.com use their valet transfer service get all your domains over on hover and then you'll you'll email me you'll say thank you thank you thank you for introducing me to uh, hover my domains are in better hands so my thanks to hover um i have a surprise for you then paul oh well i'll tell you about it later after the show yeah well before the end of the show before the end of the show i won't make you wait long all right uh, you excited about spring training? It's too cold to be thinking about it yet. It seems impossible. I I know, and I know, I'm not trying to complain to you, because Philly's had a bad winter. Boston has had, like, a epic, like, the worst winter in the history of bad winters. Like, well, why- so at this point, at this point, we are, I just saw it today, I think we're about three and a half inches off of the all-time snowiest winter on record. And it's only the beginning of March. Well, but so at this point, I'm rooting for just a little bit more snow. Like we're at like 104 inches and the record is like 107 and a half inches or something. I want to have lived through the snowiest winter of all time. I don't want any BS second place. Right. So it's been terrible for like a month and a half at this point. It might as well be a little uh, terrible for a little bit longer and then I'll have something to, you know, put on my resume. Yeah, especially since you could get there with... You don't even need like a bad snowstorm. I mean, no, if you're no, only talking just flurries you know, for a couple of days and we'll be set. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you know, at this point, three, four inches of snow, you guys may, they may not even put that on TV. They may not even mention that. <laughs> no, we talk in feet now and yeah, it's, it's been crazy. So yeah, I'm not thinking about, I, I don't know. I, I, the Red Sox, uh, I get emails from them and I, I've been getting the information and I'm vaguely paying attention to it, but uh, I don't know. I don't really get into the spring training. The baseball season's long enough. How about the, the kid from Cuba that they signed? Oh, that 19 year old that they paid. God only knows how much money for 63 million or something like that. Yeah. I Yan- don't know. What do you think? Yankee fans, uh, Yankee fans are starting to get antsy because if we've gone, uh, We've gone five years without a World Series. And that's right around – that's when the Yankee fans start losing their, their shit. And, you know, it's, it's this – you know, it, that's my hobby. That's my, you know, my, my – you know, I like to, to watch the Yankees. I don't know if you knew that. But uh, one little rough similarity between the Yankees and Apple is, you know, the, this crazy figure, you know, who, who, who's now dead, who haunts the, the organization. The Yankees had George Steinbrenner. Apple has Steve Jobs. And so you run into the, you know, exactly like that this never would have happened with Steve Jobs. You run into this never would have happened with George Steinbrenner. And now but it's his kids running the team, which is really sort of a his uh, his kids, Hal and Hank, uh, 
are you know i i think they're doing an okay job i i think it's too it's it's too short of a period of time yeah you've got to it's you, you know you're gonna have to give them 10 15 years before we really decide whether they're they're up to snuff as owners um but the, with this what's that kid's name from cuba oh uh it's like Johan mankato or something yeah uh you know, and it's uh, so many of these recent players coming out of Cuba have been so good. There's so, clearly so much crazy talent, athletic baseball players coming out of Cuba. Um, but it's a ton of money for a kid who nobody has seen play. I mean, I'm not saying I would have been shocked if the Yankees had outbid the Red Sox, but I don't think it's crazy that they didn't, you know. But a lot of Yankee fans are, you know, George is, George is rolling over in his grave. that he, <laughs> that And that in particular – if he had been on the fence, there's no way he would have let the kid go to the Red Sox. Right. And there's right. the thing is, there might be some truth to that, you know, that because George, the thing is, is that George Steinbrenner made some moves that everybody agrees were terrible, that he would, you know, insist on paying big bucks for like an aging slugger. And right. everybody in the organization, like, would be on the record, you know, that or not on the record, but like, you know, uh, anonymous sources within the Yankees organization said that nobody, nobody but George wanted this guy, but he overruled everybody and got him anyway. Um, and at this point, Yankee fans are like, they miss that guy. They want, <laughs> they want the Yankees to make terrible mistakes and just spend money on everybody that they should have. Signed. It's, it's at least interesting. Right. And that ultimately they, at least they want, if the Yankees aren't going to win, they at least want them to be hemorrhaging cash as they do it. <laughs> and, Cause, right. Cause at least then they've done as much as they can. Right. What more? At, can, at least if they're burning money. What more could we do? We spent a billion dollars and we still lost. Whereas now it's, it's, it's starting to frustrate people that they're not, that they're not just shooting money at the, at the problems. Right. And, uh, the Yankee, we got, we've got, uh, 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 Alex Rodriguez back on the team. Oh, that's a that's a treat for the rest of us. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> where do you, where do you think he's going to wind up this year? I I think it is either going to be my guess is it's going to be binary. He's either going to be a complete bust and unable to play and doesn't you know is like off the they're going to have to like cut him and just pay him the sixty one million dollars, or he's actually going to be okay. I think maybe he'll hit like 270, 20 home runs, 80 RBIs as as DH. I was the last one I was going to say. You think he gets third base back, or you think no? He gets the DH? I don't think so. It doesn't. It sounds the Yankees are prepared uh, for him to be DH. I, I mean, I think he's got a chance to play third base, but uh, you know they spend a surprising amount of money on Chase Headley. Yeah, exactly. And you know, clearly with the idea that they're going to need him at third base. I mean, if if A Rod can do it, I guess he will. But I don't. Nobody really seems to be expecting that. And they're also giving him in Florida. They're giving him a lot of reps at first base, okay. which which I think is as much about well, we've got to do something with him. And I think it's also like a sort of sad statement about what they expect out of Mark Teixeira's durability. You know that they're already planning. You know, somebody's gonna, somebody else is gonna have to play some first base. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I think the what did they they signed him for ten years and then they re-signed him for ten years, like four years into that contract. Is that right? It's a very complicated contract. It is. It something is something to the effect of that. Yeah. Well, I think the the original signing the, that ten year period, it was it was an incredible amount of money, but they got they got a lot of value out of that. The re-signing was where. I think they went wrong. Yeah, definitely. 
Because it's I, it's the second half of that new contract that is now you know they're paying him the sixty one million for maybe nothing. Yeah, and the the thinking the entire thinking behind the re signing was marketing driven, not baseball driven, because it was right. all based. It was before any of the PED stuff had hit, obviously, right. and it was all based on projections of. Not not any kind of like, oh, we think he's going to play like his 33-year-old self forever or his 32-year-old self. You know, they knew he was going to go into decline. And that by the end of this contract, he would, you know, be a shell of his former self. But the projections all had him at, you know, right around Bonds' home run mark, you know, around that time. And that he'd be breaking these historic home run records. Uh, filling the stadium with people, you know, in, in anticipation of him, you know, getting a 700th home run, getting a 750th home run. Right. Um, whereas now, you know, he can break the record and people are going to throw the ball back on the field. <laughs> right? I mean, like, who gives a crap about Barry Bonds' home run? And, you know, that's the thing is, is, even if, just imagine that he does, medi- you know, physically come back in pretty good shape and actually does start hitting dingers again and plays out these three years. Uh, it doesn't even matter if he breaks the record because nobody cares about the record anyway, because everybody thinks bonds numbers are tainted and it right. would be broken by the guy who's the only one who might be the more notorious uh, user of performance enhancing drugs. Do you even know bonds home run number? No, I don't even know. Ruth was seven fifteen, right? Right. And, and, and Hank, Hank Aaron Hank was seven forty four, right? No, I think it was seven fifty five. Seven fifty five. All right. I knew it was a, a a, a double, double number. number, yeah. So bonds is more than that, but I don't know. I don't know how much more. I'm gonna guess like seven eighty. He didn't get to eight hundred, right? I don't remember him getting another landmark after breaking the record. And eight hundred would have been something. Yeah, no, I don't think it's it's something in the seven. It's got to be yeah, like seven sixty. All right, I'm gonna look it up, but I'm not gonna cheat. Let's. I'm gonna say seven seven seventy. Okay. What are you gonna say? Ooh, I think it was even closer. I think he just barely. I'm gonna go seven sixty. I got to go below you, so. All right, hold on. Career home runs. Here we go. This is at baseballreference.com. This is good podcasting, John. (laughs) Oh, we fix it all in post. (laughs) Let's see here. Boy, Wikipedia makes it hard to find it, too. Home run, 762. You're right. He just kind of snuck past him. He has seven more home runs than. uh, Ugh. God, you know what would have been class? I mean, he never would have done it. I mean, because one thing when you're talking about Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez, class doesn't really... <laughs> that is not the to, word. Wouldn't it have been classy if he had stopped at 7.54? You think one less or tie? Or, or tie. Uh, even if he just stopped at the tie. Yeah, even if he just stopped at 7.55. Yeah, I, I feel like tied, maybe you could have convinced him to do it. But one less, I don't think he... One yeah. fewer, I don't think he would have gone for. Yeah. No All right, well, what's, what's the surprise you got for me, John? My surprise for you, Paul is that we have a fourth sponsor this week. <laughs> All right. It is, and you're going to like them. I know you like these guys. You like to play jokes with these guys. It's our good friends at Fracture. All right. Uh, Fracture photo swap. Yeah, this is now this we can talk about that. This is a great idea for a, a gag. You guys know Fracture. I talk about them. Uh, they've they've been sponsoring the show all year long. They take your photos. They print them directly on glass. And you get a little package, and it's right there. The glass 
has your photo right on it. You don't need a frame. It is a frame. You just hang it right up on a wall. You can hang it up, you know, uh, prop it up on your mantle or your desk. Uh, really clever packaging, really great image quality, uh, really great prices, really great customer support, uh, all sorts of sizes uh, and shapes to pick from. You could do square ones, print your favorite Instagrams, big ones, you know, uh, all sorts of great things. Uh, have you seen this ad campaign from Apple with the uh, taken with an iPhone where they're showing like photos that people have taken with their iPhone? They're, they're printing them on phenomenal photos. Yeah, they're phenomenal photos. But then now it's like a billboard campaign. Like, the, like you just sort of forget, like with the megapixels that you've got, like, you know, I'm sure if you got real close, like when you're hanging, if you're the guy hanging the billboard, you can see the pixels or whatever. But um, when I, I t you know, you said you were in uh, the Apple store recently. I was in the Apple store just last week week or two ago and they have some of these uh customer you know iphone user photos up in the apple store uh, big printed really big like panoramas printed big and it's amazing how how good they look even when you're standing right in front of them at the wall like you can get go to fracture and get the big ones with your iphone pictures they'll look great it's amazing how much detail is in an iphone picture uh paul you and, and my wife have played games with fracture Let's describe the fracture photo swap Right. So Fracture sponsored the podcast I do with your wife, Amy, a uh, little show called Just the Tip. And they sponsored the show and they, they was actually their idea to do this. They gave us each a coupon code and had us send a photo or photos to the other party. And we trademarked this. This is now a, a joint trademark between Just the Tip Enterprises and Fracture. And you can participate in the Fracture photo swap. All you do is you get together with a friend. You say, I'm going to send you a photo. You send me a photo. And you just go nuts with it. And I, have you talked pricing on this? I, you, haven't, you haven't talked pricing yet. No. It, you can do it. It's, it's very inexpensive for the small photos. And you can have some fun with it. The only rule is that whatever you send, the receiving party has to keep in their house for at least a year. <laughs> so then, then it becomes a real conversation piece. Which ex uh, so that you, you need to take that into account. That explains why we have a photo of Pete Rose in his underwear. His jockeys. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Do you think that that was based? That was an ad that that uh, while Pete Rose was playing, you could Google this. Just Google was it Pete Rose jockeys? Uh, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah it, it, jockey underwear. Um, and he he is he is not an attractive man. <laughs> Not even then. No, and this not, is this is the height of his career. Yeah, in the prime of his playing career, did not really look uh, very attractive in his jockeys. Do you think maybe when they had that, that maybe they got the idea and they just assumed that Pete Rose with his you know his jersey off would look good? Because you know there was like uh, Jim Palmer, a uh, uh, very handsome pitcher for the uh, Baltimore Orioles, uh, famously did a lot of uh, underwear ads during his career. Right. Very handsome man. Looked amazing. Looked best, certainly looked better than I've ever looked in the best day of my life in his underwear. Looked great. Looked like he should be modeling underwear. Do you think that there's somebody at Jockey was like, well, we'll get Pete Rose. He's a great player. He's, you know, he's, you know, he's going to look great. And they, you know, they called him and they, they came to terms and, uh, and they signed a contract and then, <laughs> then they, then they got to see him in his joggies. That's what I think. That's my guess as to how that came to be. But they still could have saved money by not printing the ad. I mean, that's good money after bad. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, my thanks to Fracture. Send every, you know, do the Fracture photo swap. It's great fun. Do whatever you want with them, but they great, great company, great products, lots of fun. Uh, the code that you want to remember is Daring Fireball, all one word, Daring Fireball, and you will save 15% on whatever it is that you order, including, I'm betting, a Fracture photo swap. There you go. Uh, I one last thing. I, I got to go soon. Uh, we've been uh, chatting for a while, but I wanted to talk while I had you because I wanted to get your insight on this. I think you're going to give me a big fat. I told you so about app pricing. So my oh yes, my friends uh, uh, Brent and Dave and I at Q Branch. We we've just a few days ago released a new update to our app Vesper uh, that adds iPad support on iOS. And uh, coincident with that, it's a universal binary. But we've raised the price of the app to 999 right i think for the next 10 days we're still going to keep it at 799 which is higher than it has been all along um but the re- new default regular price once this intro period is over is going to be 999 and um uh, uh, you know i don't want to uh, uh, go on a trade about it but just more or less that we we've we've concluded that the idea that you can go low and we've been at 299 for months before this update came out that you can go low and make it up with quantity because the ios market is so big that it just that just doesn't work or it doesn't work for the type of app that vesper is which i would call like uh, a deeper app yeah and like a productivity app it's not a game it's not a gimmick it's not a You know, but it's sort of basically it's like the type of apps that indie developers have been making for the Mac for decades. Now it's on iOS, like a Mac app on iOS. And I don't think that that works. And I mean, Mac in terms of like being something that you do, like you work with it, you do things, productivity. I don't know. I definitely do want to say I told you so, but uh, I think it's it's something where what six years ago, my company released an iPhone app and we priced it at $9.99 and it didn't work. Uh, but I felt like at least we went down swinging. We went down at a price where we were content. And I think exactly like you said, trying to make it up on volume doesn't work unless you wind up with one of the apps, you know, an Angry Birds or yeah, but that's a, it's a that's different a game. Too. It's a, it, games are different. I think games are in to, is a totally different market. And uh, you know, there's other apps that to me, it's a different type of, um, it's just a different category. I'm talking, you know, right. and I will also add, and I don't want to be self, uh, so self-centered as to presume that Vesper is good enough that it should be making more money. So let's just leave Vesper out. Maybe the problem is that Vesper isn't original enough. Maybe the, you know, the problem is Vesper. The eye opening thing to me was in panics, um, Right. Annual letter that they published on their blog uh, back in early January, where Cable Sasser just flat out said, you know, and they had a great year. They had so many apps that came out, Mac and iOS, and they had iOS versions of um, a Coda, uh, the Mini Coda, whatever they call it, Coda Light. Diet Coda, yep. Diet Coda. Diet Coda. Oh, what a great name that is. Can't believe I drew a blank on that. Um, they have their uh, terminal app. Um, um, Prompt. Prompt. Great, they great had, stuff. Uh, Transmit for iOS. Transmit for iOS, which is a phenomenal app. Really, really well done. It's every you, you close your eyes and you think, well, what would Panic do if they did Transmit for iOS? And your mind starts running wild with how you know detailed it would be. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's a remarkable, remarkable app. Um, and truly, I, a Mac caliber app in terms of the scope of what it does. You know, it's a full featured file transfer app. You know, for a whole bunch of great services. Um, 
and you know, in their annual letter, you know, cable flat out said that the, the, the revenue that they're making from these iOS apps doesn't justify the engineering expense of making these apps compared to the revenue they get from the same amount of work on the Mac apps. Right. Doing the same amount of work on the Mac is going to pay so much better than it does on iOS. Right. And there's no, you know, I mean, they're two different platforms, but in terms of which, you know, it, you know, how much it costs to pay for a talented engineer to spend, you know, eight to 10 hours tomorrow coding for it, it's the same, right? Like you don't get, you don't, if anything, iOS developers are more in demand, right? Right. It's, it's even harder to hire them. Um, and that to me was an eye opener to me that if panic is saying, Hey, something funny is going on on iOS because, you know, we're not getting the bang for our buck. We're, you know, we have to think about how we're going to do this because we can't justify this because if we put these resources toward the Mac, we'd be making more money. Um, and that to me is an eye opener because those apps are fantastic. Like there's just, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm too close to Vesper to judge Vesper objectively, but I can judge panics apps objectively and they are best of breed. Yeah. And yeah, I've got it right in front of me. They basically, they had a 50, 50 split for iOS versus Mac sales. And then the Mac was 83% of their revenue. Right. So, I mean, just in terms of the way the numbers work, yeah, you certainly should be devoting more of your resources to the Mac. And that's unfortunate because iOS is a fun platform. It's an interesting platform to be developing for. But right now, there's the money just isn't there. Yeah, and I think that we're starting to see it now. Like, to me, uh, eight years in, I guess, it's, is it eight or seven years? I guess seven years since the App Store. Um, it's long enough. And the devices, you know, Moore's Law has had its effect, like, our current iPhones and iPads are so powerful. Uh, you know, they're clear, you know, the current iPads are clearly on par with the MacBooks of the time when the iPhone came out. I mean, right. the, the, the devices aren't limiting them, but I really think that for seven years in, there's a dearth of like what I would call like, the, just name any of your favorite indie Mac apps from the last 20 years. And we're not seeing them get developed on iOS. I mean, not that there's none, but that we're just not seeing as many as we should. Well, I, and I wonder if I definitely, there are people inside of Apple who are aware of this, but I wonder if the people who can do something about it are blinded by the fact that there are these phenomenal success stories where companies come out of nowhere and suddenly make millions upon millions of dollars because they have this hit 99 cent app, but it disguises the fact that so many developers try and fail and move on and just can't really make a living at it, let alone uh, a good living at it. Yeah, I don't know. And, uh, you know, and part of it, and I'll, you know, because we could go on for an hour just about the App Store angle, but part of it is clearly just that the having to go through the App Store limits iOS development in certain ways. But we're, let's ignore that for now. I, you know, I, I think it's safe to ignore it. There's something more to it than that. Like, Rogue Amoeba, you guys don't have any iOS apps right now, right? Uh, we've got two small, they're companion apps to our Mac apps because that's what we've felt has been the most valuable thing to do is to uh, expend our resources on the Mac. And it, we we certainly want to be involved on iOS. It's like I said, it's an exciting platform, but if the money's not there, we'd right. rather have them be a companion to a Mac app. So, you know, here's a free Airfoil speakers, which works works with our app Airfoil. And you pay for the Airfoil app on the Mac and you get the, the iOS app for free. Uh, and it's... It, you know, it's not necessarily the best way to do things, but it's the way that we found 
works. I knew I remembered it. Right I remembered Airfoil. I didn't even think of it as an app because it's not, you know what I mean? Like to me, it's not an app. It's a thing on your phone that it's just part of using Airfoil. Right, exactly. And so effectively, yeah, effectively, you guys, though, are treating the iPhone the way that, like, it's like the Apple Watch, right? It's just this little thing where, you, yeah, you're, you've got apps for it and you've written code for it, but it's really just a, like you said, a, a peripheral to the main thing. Yeah, exactly. And and that that works, but it's, I would love to see the sort of thing that you're talking about where you have a, you know, first class application experience on the phone or on the iPad and you know we can devote our resources to that and then charge 10 20 30 dollars which is what you need to charge in terms of the volume that you're going to see on an average product because you can't make enough money selling it for 99 cents or 2.99 or or even 4.99 and i think I, I, if i'm not mistaken in the in the panic letter that they sent out to uh, that they posted on their blog they also mentioned talking about discounted upgrades and that's a big thing that i think the app stores are lacking and have been lacking and it means that you need to either charge full price for version two or, I mean, that's really pretty much your only option besides giving it away. And upgrade revenue is definitely a way that for 20 or 30 years now, companies have been selling software and making money and it encourages companies to make a version two and a version three and not have to worry, oh, we got to sell all over to people when they can just say, hey, this new version has a bunch of new features. We think you're going to like it. Because you bought the first version, you get a big discount on it, but we still get a little bit of revenue. Uh, they don't just have to live off the revenue from the first product or try and sell a whole new product. Yeah. And I think not having that really sort of stunts the ability to make deeper products and, and longer-term products. Yeah. I'll borrow, I'll tie, to tie the whole show together, bring it full circle, I'll, I'll borrow a term from the watch world. There's a term in the watch world, a tool watch. So, for example, like a diver watch, a watch that can go 300 meters under underwater. Uh, which you think about it is terrifying. That's like, I, that's an extraordinary depth. Um, you know, watches that are meant to be, you know, treated roughly and, you know, to, to work or, or, uh, uh, you know, like chronometer watches like that race car drivers would wear and actually use, you know, to time their, their racing and stuff like that. That's the type of apps. That's a good word tool, right? Like tool apps, like, you know, audio hijack is a tool. It's a serious tool that people, you can use it for fun too, but you know, BB edit is a tool. Um, right. Those type of apps need continuous first for long-term success need continuous development. Like you oh, guys, absolutely. you guys have been working on audio hijack, like effectively. I'm not that, not that well, nonstop, right? Like uh, for, for 13 years. Yeah. And the, there's no other way to do that without upgrade revenue or some kind of, you know, uh, like a subscription type thing. I mean, clearly that's like what Adobe is pivoting towards. To, yeah. And successfully, I mean, it, it's or so far, it seems like it. But to justify that, you know, because all of their apps that we think of, they're, you know, they're tools. And the only way to keep them going is with some sort of sustained revenue stream from your existing users. And the yeah, whole absolutely. idea that, you know, once you've paid for it, you get it for forever just doesn't work. And anytime people have tried it, it's always fallen apart. I mean, I think of uh, poor uh, TextMate, right? Where uh, Alan Ogdard had great success, you know, came out with a new text editor. It was a sensation. All the Rails developers loved it. Uh, really seemed to strike a chord with like the, the new to the Mac users who, you know, maybe didn't, weren't, were somehow turned off by BB edits sort of Mac likeness. Um, 
but then he promised that the next major upgrade was going to be a free update, you know, and which I thought, wow, that is a crazy ass thing to say. Cause right. I, you know, I, if it wasn't for upgrades, I don't see how bare bones would still be in business. I, I mean, I'm sure that they still get some number of new customers, but you know, I I've paid for upgrades. I, I even worked for them for two years, but I must've paid for, I don't know, six or seven upgrades over the last, uh, you know, 15 years of using BB edit. Right. Well, and the, the key is that it got you new features and new functionality. Right. Happily. And, so, right. And got you, yeah, you were happy to do it because it got you, you know, the, the top of the line product, uh, the current product. And on, on iOS, I think you're seeing a whole lot of stuff get abandoned because it doesn't make enough money up front. And then, you know, you can't, you can't, like I said earlier, you can't keep throwing good money after bad. Uh, or, or, you know, good time after bad when uh, a product isn't successful enough right up front, it's not going to be successful long term because you can't afford to make it successful. Yeah. So my conclusion, my my new working theory is that for tool apps, that the market on iOS is actually not much bigger at all than the Mac. It's roughly the same size. And the fact that there are 200 million iOS users total is irrelevant because, I don't know, 180 million of them would never even consider spending money on like, which to me is not a crazy expensive app, like a 999 app. Right. right. But it's just, I'm never going to do it. Like the way that those 180 million people do it is they go to the app store and they search for what they're looking for. And if it's a notes app, they type notes and then they look for one that's free and then they keep downloading free ones until they find one that's good enough. And there's so right. many of it's them. Exactly that they're eventually going to find one that's good enough. And that's it. And then never go past it. So it doesn't matter whether you're 99 cents or 199 or 999. They're never looking past the free ones. And well, not that there aren't people, you know, there's, I think there's, you know, same way that there's 10, 20, 30 million active Mac users who will consider spending a reasonable amount of money on a good app. I think that there's the same number of people. I think that all those same people have an iPhone in their pocket and would consider doing the same thing for the iPhone. But there's, you have to price it accordingly though. You still, you can't price it for at lower for all 200 million people, right? You cannot yeah. do it. And well, it might, it might be less than the Mac version just because it's, it's a smaller app and it does take slightly, you know, slightly less time to do the iPhone app than the Mac app. Cause there might be, you know, you don't have to do Apple script. You don't have to, you know, there's all sorts of things you may not be able to do, but it still has to be commensurate to what you would charge for the Mac version. Well, the interesting analogy to me is it's sort of analogous to the split between Mac and Windows that when we first came out on the Mac a decade ago, more than that, uh, and had some success, people said, oh, you should be on Windows. There's, you know, 10 or 100 times as many users. But I think it's a very similar thing where there aren't 10 or 100 times as many people willing to pay for software. Yeah, there might be more, there might even be fewer. But it's not as if you can just look at the size of the user base and say, okay, that's the possible number of people we can sell to. And I think on the iPhone, it's very similar where, you know, of those, however, 200 million devices, how many of those are in the hands of kids or, you know, uh, are secondary devices? So, you know, it's not really that there's that many active users out there. Yeah, uh, it, It's the market isn't necessarily that much bigger. And, you know, I, you, you think it might be the same size. It might be smaller, might be bigger. I don't, I don't have a good number, but I think it's silly to just look and say, Oh, they sold so many hundreds of millions of devices. That's obviously the market to attack. Yeah, I just think it doesn't you have, actually work. That you way. have to pick a price that's commensurate with how you would price the equivalent Mac app, and I, right. I really do believe that. And it's you know, uh, and I but I realize that the app store is not set up to promote apps like that. Like you're not going to get on the best selling chart that way, and being on the best selling chart does get you downloads. It's you know, 
Well, the only the only thing that Apple added, what a couple of years in, was the top generating top revenue generating apps. Right. And that's that's the one sort of sop that we got. That you know, if you do have a more expensive app, uh, potentially you could wind up on that chart, and that that could be useful. But I don't think it's in the end played out that way because I think that's a whole lot of that is in app purchase stuff where uh, it could be a free or a freemium game type thing where. Uh, you know, you got it for free, and then you spend a whole bunch of money on coins or whatever, and that's what winds up topping those charts. So I think it's, it, as you said, the the stores just aren't set up to promote an app that is priced sustainably. Yeah, totally agree. So you were right; I was wrong. <laughs> well, I just I well, I only wish you know. Uh, hopefully, people listen and and developers listen and say, you know what, uh, I'm not making enough money at two ninety nine or four ninety nine. I should try a higher price right. because that's that's really what it is. Is that you can't be the only one that does it. That's yeah. what we tried it in the first place, and it didn't work. And even even someone like you, who's got you know an audience who will listen to this, I don't know that it, it needs a title change from everybody really to yeah. to make it sustainable. Uh, you know, ever since we wrote about it, and Jason Snell, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, Jason Snell had a brief interview with me about it today that I thought was came off pretty good. I've gotten a lot. We've gotten a lot of feedback about it, and it does seem like I think that there's a movement afoot to maybe do this, and it it, it might have to. It is, I think, hearkening back to almost the pre-app store days, where we're, you know, you're going to have to do your marketing on your own outside the app store. But that, you know, that that for a certain class of tool app, that the prices, I think, are going to go up. I think there's momentum. I, so, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so let's wrap it up. But uh, let's put a, a shout out to Audio Hijack. So Audio Hijack, uh, the new version is 3.0, right? That's right. It is version 3.0. Big hit for you guys at Rogue Amoeba. Do you guys have a patch upgrade? Are you up to 301 yet? Uh, 302, and I think 303 will probably be, uh, probably not before this airs, but yeah, we're at 302 now. Uh, what's the price? It's $49, but if anyone has bought any Audio Hijack in the past, any product with Audio Hijack in the name, which there were a couple different versions, whatever, it's a $25 upgrade. That's that's a bargain. That's absolute positive bargain. It's, I bet you get a lot of emails. Very well received. I'll bet there's a lot of diehard audio hijack users who are begging you to take their twenty five dollars. It has been incredible to get a whole lot of feedback from people uh, who have been using it forever and love the new version. And you know, I, I'm sure everybody who ever puts out a new version says this is the best version, and Apple always says that. But uh, in this case, it's it's just been phenomenally well received right. to the point where I would not have have expected it. But, yeah. Well, I think it's really. I had uh, had your. Uh, uh, your colleague Krista on a few episodes ago, and we talked about the interface, which is to me fantastic. I think you guys got, I think just from t- my sense from talking to Krista was that you guys got too close to the interface during its development and you lost sight of just how radically better it was because oh, in terms of the past several years of developing version three. Yes. That yeah, you guys, absolutely. you guys were nose to the grindstone on that interface for so long and you became infinite, intimately familiar with it. And uh, and then it came out, and I think it was. Just, I think it's that interface that's driving the the hit. Because to me, I always I always knew what Audio Hijack did, but I have to admit that when I looked at it, I was always a little like uh, I have to I have to read and think about what I'm doing here. Whereas with the new interface, oh, it's in an instant you can see exactly what is going on, and it's you know. It's, yeah, I mean that that was certainly the idea. Was we've got a pipeline, and you can visually see my audio is going from here to here, and it, it's doing what yeah. I expected to do. And previously, we had most of the power that's in this version, but it was a lot more difficult to suss out. Right. But, and, you know, and on the back end, you guys have been through so much. It's always been a Mac OS 10 product. It hasn't, it, it debuted on Mac OS 10, so you don't have any classic Mac OS roots, right? 
Uh, there was there was a plug-in version back on Mac OS nine, but as a product, it was it's always been on Mac OS ten. Yeah. You guys have been through so many technical differences in at the level that you that audio hijack needs to operate in terms of you know I mean there was no core audio back in two thousand one. Uh, was there? I don't think so. I mean, we, you guys I mean are, yeah, we've gone through we've gone through what eleven different versions of the operating system and. It's 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 been a it's been a, a pretty long journey as far as getting to where we are. Yeah. But the only way that that worked was through upgrade pricing and having a sane, sustainable price to start with. Pr- uh, yeah, pricing. I think the bigger thing for us was having a price that you know made money as opposed to selling for ninety nine cents. But uh, <laughs> certainly, version three having an upgrade price has been essential. Right, because there's no other way. I mean, how could you justify three years of development on it if if you weren't going to do it? So anyway, my congrats. Well-deserved success on that app. It's thank you. Uh, it should win all the awards, in my opinion. Well, it's you know, it's funny. Somebody said that, and uh, it got me thinking. There aren't very many Mac awards left anymore. No, we well, we lost they, MacWorld's uh, Eddie Awards. Are they going to do that? Are they? Uh, they didn't. They I didn't do know. it at the end of last year with yeah. their with their slim down staff. Um, you know the the uh, the ADAs are now only for the App Store, which Audio Hijack can't be in. Um, we lost, I mean, all the Mac magazines have disappeared and that was really the people that were doing a lot of the awards. Yeah. So it's, it, that actually, somebody said that, somebody said exactly that, that it should win all the awards. And, and <laughs> I said, that's, that's a lovely thing to say. And it made me depressed because there really aren't any of these sort of community recognition awards anymore. Yeah. The ADAs, you know, it's an achievement more than an award it I, everybody it, if you get an ada you've done good work there is no way to get one that does not involve good work but it's it, it's not really an award it's you know you you've done good work that is exactly where apple wants you to be doing good work this year it's it's right you know not that again i'm not downplaying it i would certainly accept i would happily accept one uh but it's to call it an you know it, i don't know it's not like the eddies used to be where it was a, a more objective and, and had more of like a year to year fairness to it. Like the ADAs shift radically. I mean, there was one year where they were like, you know, iOS only. <laughs> well, well and, and they had like, they'd add a, add a category like best dashboard widget. <laughs> and, you know, it was clearly, it was in Apple's promotional interests. Right. Uh, whereas, right, the, the Eddies and, and other awards like it were, you know, just this is the best software and best products we saw this year. Right. And, and yeah, I, I so the the one that is I actually I, I emailed our friend Renee Ritchie at uh, iMore because they do a, an annual award, and I said you know somebody made me realize that so many of these are gone. I'm glad that iMore is still doing them, and and you know I, certainly I hope we are in the running for one. But n- ignoring that, it's just nice that someone is looking at the whole community, looking at you know everything as a whole, and saying these are things that actually deserve some recognition and some attention. Yeah, there's the crunchies. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that have like a gorilla statue? <laughs> so, I think it's got like a 2001 uh, gorilla style statue. Did you see I got nominated? Daring Fireball got nominated for the best bootstrapped startup this what year. What year? This year. What? I just, go look it up. Daring Fireball was nominated in this year's Crunchy Awards for best bootstrapped startup. This in my, uh, what, 13th year for writing the website. <laughs> wow. Did you? Oh, you didn't win. You I didn't did win. not win. Thank God. Oh, God. We got some kind of autoplay video. All right. All right. Let's wrap it up. My thanks to our sponsors. We have four great sponsors this week. And my thanks to them all. Casper, the mattress people, Warby Parker, the eyeglass people who do not yet make monocles or eye patches. 
fracture your photos on glass, and last but not least, hover the world's best uh, place to manage and register domain names. Paul Kafastis, I thank you. Thank you, and uh, you know, get better soon, John. All right. I'll keep an eye out for you. <laughs>